line. So growing pains or something more concerning, relatively new ownership and a too good to be true feel about it has long had many town fans putting two and two together and coming up with their own answers. The whispers have just not gone away. And regardless of the reality, a run of defeats was always likely to ratchet up the levels of venom and disquiet to the levels witnessed this past 24 hours. Well, whichever direction you're looking from, three defeats on the spin and only three wins since October does not make for a happy vibe around the Swindon Town campfire. Social media has been firing off in all directions and tonight the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge is giving you an opportunity to vent your spleen and either let off some steam or suggest how well or indeed how much better those driving our club forward on and off the pitch could be running things in your alleged opinions. And trust me, the club are listening. So join us tonight, either by speaker request or by the delightfully convenient proxy of a direct message or tweet us via the at T underscore STBL or the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge on Twitter. Best contributions tonight shall win a host of saucy STSC goodies, including a hoodie, a Dan Designs print if you're choosing, or if you really blow our socks off, we might detonate your own stockings further still with a humdinger of a mystery prize. So either way, don't be shy. It's our club. Make sure you have your say. And as you may have gathered already, for those of you that have jumped over from the stalled start, I've got Ellis joining me on co-hosting duties tonight. How are we, Ellis? Yeah, um, well, just about got over last night, but yeah, how are you? Uh, much the same, pal. Much the same. We'll be getting to that <laughs> shortly. How are you, Jason? I, I'm very good. Um, without uh, apologies to all the listeners for repeating myself, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I'm where I was was swathed in melancholy pathos the last time we spoke. I am now dangerously close to depression, and that was purely based on last night's performance. Uh, yeah, similar. Um, I sat with uh, down in a in a Bournemouth hotel bar with a, a several pints of Guinness and the longest face. Um, after 85 minutes, it was the, the shortest face, if there can be such a thing. And yeah, indeed, by 90 minutes plus stoppage time, my demeanour had changed altogether for the worst. But anyway, listen, um, I thought let's we, we, the debate will wait because we've got a welcome to do. We've got a, a new player in the parish. And obviously, last night, he's already got his boots dirty. George McEachran. George McEachran. Dear listener, 22-year-old former England under-70s Euros runner-up and World Cup winner, for those of you that followed the tournament in India. Um, he happened to make the tournament, uh, the, uh, the team of the tournament as well. So quite the player um, in his far more tender years, only 22 years old. Um, he signed on a six-month deal and our very own Jody Morris, the new manager, has said he's got good energy. He's a good, good lad to have around the place. Um, he was on trial with us last year and he just turned out to not be Ben Garner's cup of tea. But as I mentioned, he made a really encouraging debut last night against Sutton. So I thought as part of saying hello to George and wishing him all the best on his voyage in red and white, I'll get your views. What did you think, Ellis? How, what was your view of, um, of George's maiden 90 minutes? Well, good looking bloke to start with. Um, that, yeah, like a Harrods, helps. a Harrods Mark Wright, one of my kids' remarks. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, it, it's it's tough to tell from that game, um, but yeah, there, there's definitely a player there. Um, 
yeah, like I said, it's just it's, it's tough to tell off off one one sort of shit game. <laughs> yeah, what what about you, Jason? I mean, I, I I've got my own view. Clearly, I thought he was neat and tidy. What what did you make of him, mate? Was there anything that sort of stuck out? Um, I I I I repeat what you said and basically what I said as well. I I thought he looked right actually. I you know he didn't look a bad player. Um, what can we, what can we, what judgments can we make after one game? None really. Um, does he fit, you know, our style of play? Yeah, probably. Is he what we need right now? Uh, that, that's that's a different question. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with him joining. I'm I'm happy we've got another body in the building, but I think we need more. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, very interesting player. He's not got a, a huge amount of appearances um, under his belt um, in terms of first first team appearances. Um, spent a decent amount of time out in the Eredivisie playing for Canberra, where he racked up quite a few. There's a cracking um, documentary that um, did the rounds um, from Chelsea TV um, on George McEachern with Tor Andre Flo, uh, former Chelsea striker, who was looking after their loans at the time. I believe he still does. Um, giving an overview on uh, who at the time was a real standout prospect for them, but clearly it didn't quite go the way that they all hoped. But it really gives you a flavour for what the kid's all about. Um, comes across as being very earnest, um, hardworking, um, the younger brother of Josh McEachern, um, who I believe is still at MK Dons, uh, who was touted for great things at Chelsea along a similar vein. And again, it didn't quite happen for him. Um, I thought last night, I thought he was very neat and tidy. Um, I thought um, he was quite keen to get on the ball, make things happen. Um, he, You could tell he was a little bit ring rusty, which probably led to him getting um, a yellow card for a bit of a late lunge, 40-odd um, yards off uh, away from the Swindon Town goal mouth. But um, on the whole, I really, really like what I saw. And I think um, it's it's another option um, in a squad, which, as Jason said, you know, we need bodies through the, through the door at the moment because... Clearly, injuries and suspension are biting in a big way. Um, but so, as I say, we welcome George to the piece. But, um, I mean, look, the, 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 the real meat and potatoes in terms of my, my intro, again, will come on for. We'll just spend a little bit of time trying to unpick last night's performance. Um, Jason, Ellis, um, the three, three of us watched the game. Um, for, for, well, I wouldn't go so far as to say for 85 minutes it was all going so well. But we were certainly keeping them at bay for 85 minutes, weren't we? But they were knocking on that door towards the end of the game. What What were your hot takes, lads? Um, Ellis, I'll go. We'll go. We'll go. A, we'll go. Um, uh, Should we say uh, age before beauty? Um, <laughs> which way you want to flip that? Watch it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. <laughs> I, I'll start. I'll start things off. Um, it, it was a good goal. It was a good build up to the goal. Um, uh, what was it? I Andalou to Blake Tracy and then into um, Austin. But yeah, a, a good build up to the goal. Um, I think we played well the first half. Um, Sutton sort of put it on us a little bit more towards the end. Uh, towards the end of the first half, um, and yeah, just gradually, the further on we got through the game the more sort of uh, nerve-wracking it got and Sutton just kept up up in the pressure and you knew it was going to come. Um, and it happened at Doncaster. 
uh, well, county ground against Doncaster. They, they they score a goal, and then two minutes later, go and score another one. Mm. It's it, it it's painful to watch, um, especially when you know you can beat a side like that. Um, technically, they're and they're not great, um, but it's lead to um, uh, like we we all know. And anything can happen in League Two. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because well, you know we could have gone out there and and won that game. Yeah, well, look before we bring sort of Jason in for his thoughts. I mean, a little bit of stats for you. So, Town, um, we had fifty five percent of the possession. No surprises there. We're very efficient in relation to uh, racking up the possession stats. Uh, we had eleven shots. They had twenty two. So, to your point, Ellis about we felt it was coming. Interestingly, though, we had five shots on target. They only managed three shots on target to finish the game with two goals, which clearly is not a nice stat for us to see. They forced eight corners to our five, and interestingly, they racked up 19 fouls to our nine. Um, Bit of a... um, I mean, it was was an interesting one because one of the big conversations that um, was happening last night was about about experience. And... um, I was taking a look at the number of first-team appearances that were on the pitch at the final whistle for Swindon Town. And uh, because there is one of the big conversations that's been having about the current Swindon Town squad is that um, the word starlet got used today and um, whether it was loosely used um, and then it sort of triggered ire from a lot of people. But nonetheless, the word starlet got used. I think we're going to say bright young talent just to save any uh, any other further misconceptions or distractions. But um as I was rattling through the figures, we saw Sol Brin, who's barely barely got 30 um, senior first-team appearances in England. Um, Romeo Hutton's got about 85 appearances. I think Kieran Brennan's got about 25. Fraser Blake Tracy's racked up 56 senior league appearances. Um, probably topped it up a couple more since that figure was produced. Um, Tom Clayton um, has uh, got 16 starts uh, in senior uh, English football. Uh, Saidu Khan, he's been around the, the lower leagues, as we know. He's no spring chicken, but he's only got 20, just into the 20s, um, senior appearances in English football. Uh, Jake Wakelin has got 29, which is pretty spectacular when you consider last season he only managed four. And Ronan Darcy's got 55 senior English football appearances. So by the time you start racking up that number of appearances, that's not a kind of, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a team of League Two war horses, is it? So, um it's it's certainly um, it, it's it's certainly something for us to bear in mind as we move into the bigger conversation. But um, I mean, Ellis, how does that sit with you? Because obviously, um, with about I mean, uh, go just going back and, and looking at when the goals were scored. I mean, it's um, and we, if we look at if we look at the lineups themselves and we start looking at how our substitutions impacted on the team. Well, Luke Jeffcott's got uh, he's getting on for two hundred, I think, or about one hundred and fifty senior appearances. Charlie Austin has got so many senior appearances. He's got more than he's more senior appearances than he's probably got grey hairs. Um, so you take those two off the pitch, and you really are looking at a a shortage of like proper senior first team appearances. Um, it's no surprise to me. Jeff got comes off on seventy five minutes. Charlie Austin comes off on eighty four minutes, and lo and behold, 
on 85 minutes, Lee Angle scores the equaliser. Three minutes later, um, the um, uh, Ali Smith uh, scores the what turned out to be the winner for Sutton. It was excruciating, Ellis, wasn't it? Did did you have any concerns when the um, when the substitutions, Jason, when the substitutions were made? Did you have any concerns that at that stage in the game we might be um, inviting a bit of trouble? Uh, yeah, I, when you take off, arguably. I think both of them were sort of real good players in that game. Obviously, Austin scored. And I think the work that Jeffcott was doing off the ball um, is in sort of creating space. Um, and sort of the pairing of Austin and Jeffcott, I think, worked quite well at times yesterday. Um, when you take both of them off, <laughs> I... I, I I could agree, take one off, you know, bring Wakelin on, fresh legs, um, you know, bring Jeffcott on, Wakelin up, um, sorry, Jeffcott off, Wakelin on. Um, but, but you know, when you take both off, um, it's going to, it's going to cause issues. And, you know, Austin was defending for his life as well yesterday. Um, it's not like he was just... <laughs> Waiting at the other end of the pitch, he he was he was getting stuck into tackles, and obviously with with all the experience that he's got, he's he, he's like a coach on the pitch, and you take that away from the players, and well, you, you saw what happened. I mean, I, I was very surprised, Dennis, Jason. I don't know how you feel, but you had the I think it was about the eighty second minute when you had Sutton substitute Matt Dennis practically took the crossbar off from six yards. And I, I can't, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I'm not a coach. Right? So um, it's remiss of me to say, but it really surprised me that that kind of, you know, shot across the bow wasn't enough to kind of go, right, hold on a minute. Like, you know, we we need all of our experience in here. We need all of our senior heads in here, just making sure that everybody stays nice and calm. Now, I appreciate that there was a tactical shift and, and it was about packing out the... Yeah, it looked to me like he was looking to pack out the midfield, but Sutton are one of those teams which just bypassed the midfield. So, it, I don't know, I was sort of scratching my head at the time and the, the, the strange sense of inevitability I had, Jason, just turned into, obviously, reality just sort of three or four minutes later. It was, oh, was galling, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it certainly was. Um, I mean, there's another way of looking at it, though. and You could kind of look at it and go, well, you know, sometimes you need to take players off, right? Sometimes players just are, you know, less fuel in the tank in the getting towards the, the final um, echelon of the game and you just need to take them off. But it's who do you bring on? And, if, and the trouble is we don't have the experienced players who can game manage the match out on the bench. We have young lads who, when they come on, they're, they're just going to run around rather than realise that it's all about holding the ball, punting it when you need to punt it. So, I, you know, yeah, sometimes Jason, I don't think... Jason, sorry, to, just to illustrate this for the listener, the, the substitutes last night were Ronan Darcy, Jake Kane, Ricky Aguiar, uh, Jake Wakelin, Harrison Minturn, Abu Kanu, Jake Copland. That is a very young bench, Jason, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's it. That's the point, though, isn't it? It was a very young bench. Um, and, you know, when you think of years gone past, seasons gone past, who are the players that you bring on in those moments? You know, that they're not kids. Um, and no disrespect to those lads last night, no disrespect to, the, you know, the kids we were bringing through. But 
it's going to be really, really hard to replace Austin and, uh, you know, Jeff Gott, who's got 200 games under his belt. Yeah, very, very difficult indeed. And, um, I mean, to, you know, to to Ellis's point, I think the thing that sort of surprised me about the Charlie Austin substitution was like, we were like about five minutes from, from time. It wasn't like we were bringing Charlie off on 70 minutes because he's struggling to get through 90. You know, he, he and he literally was. I don't think Charlie shut up for the entire time, 90 minutes. I mean, I was only able to follow uh, to um, have the game on iFollow. And I mean, literally just seeing him bellowing at his teammates, like, you know, for the whole nine, for the whole 90 minutes. So, Oh, I don't know. Um, it's just one of those. Do you, not, do you not think? Do you not think that sometimes, like a player, can run himself into the ground? It doesn't necessarily mean that that's a good thing. It could be that your manager's thinking, "I've got to save his legs for the next match because we need him." Like we, you know, if I take him off now, maybe he's not going to pull his hamstring or you know whatever. We've yeah. got him for the next match. Well, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And I'm sure that Jody Morris wasn't taking um, Charlie Austin off, expecting within literally a minute to concede, obviously. But by the, by the same token, um, I don't know. There was there was something at that point where they were knocking on the door. Like I said, they've already kind of like fired a really ominous sort of like, you know, sort of you know warning in our direction. I think to, uh, I don't know, to, to make those changes, I think was very, very brave. The one, the one thing that, you know, that I will sort of remark on is like, you know, Charlie, Charlie was talking at the end of the game about, you know, in his post-match interview, Charlie Austin was talking about these lads have got to learn. Um, that will be a, hopefully, a steep, steep learning curve for them. But I just can't help but think, coming off the, the, the back of the defeat on Saturday and how that game unfolded, I'm, I'm not sure I would have been making those changes like when I did. I, I can honestly say that, and I'm not saying it in hindsight. I wasn't sat there in my seat kind of crying out for you know, for substitutions. I was literally, I was like, well, do you know what? This is just a question of like backs to the wall. We've got to do whatever we got to do to get across the line. Oh, I don't know. Just, just unbelievably frustrating. But um, I mean, aside from that, I thought, I mean, really across the 90 minutes, I think it was pretty much, I would have gone with that as a fair result. I appreciate it was a clash of styles. Um, Sutton have stuck to the game plan that has served them very well for you know the last five six years. They play the percentages. They hit those big balls um, up to gargantuan athletes that they've got in forward areas. Put enormous amounts of pressure on. I mean, speaking as a as a former goalkeeper, I didn't feel um, obviously there's contact with Seoul. Um, I think some referees are going to give that. Other referees aren't. Um, I think that's the frustrating thing. I used to love it when I when I was wearing the gloves. That you know, more often than not, I'll get those decisions. Just last night, unfortunately, that decision just didn't go our way, which was a bit of a shocker. And that word consistency in League Two officialdom uh, came back to haunt us once more, which is a bit frustrating. Um, I mean, listen, we 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 can sit here and we can we can bemoan and whinge and complain about Sutton uh, all we like. Um, let's con let's consign that. Uh, to the annals of history um, and uh, and try and take a little bit of a, a look forward. I mean, I mentioned gentlemen and dear listeners, um, gentlemen of my panel, dear listeners in my intro that, um, I mean, really what I wanted to do tonight was try and get us, get, get into the roots of the obvious and noisy discord around Swindon Town Football Club at the moment. Um, what's interesting though, as a starting point, as a jumping off point, I wanted to go for a really interesting tweet. 
Because although Twitter would believe, would have you believe that the club is back on a collision course with misery and underachievement, it might not be that bad. As Nicholas Coote tweeted earlier today, a three-part thread that I thought made for really interesting reading. So Nicholas said, and I quote, for those decrying Sandro, of clearly referencing Sandro Di Michele, Swindon Town's technical director, can I suggest we calm down a bit? He's delivered some great, young, exciting talent also known as Romeo Hutton, Sol Brin, Marcel Lavinier, Saidu Khan, Jake Wakelin, Jake Kane, Fraser Blake Tracy, Rashawn Hepburn Murphy, Joe Tomlinson and George McEachern. That's 10 players. Nick goes on to say, our problems are in part the result of a perfect storm. Suspensions and injuries of key players. Jody Morris will be a good head coach. Austin, a key signing. But Lindsay's appointment was a mistake and Reed was a major disappointment this season. Gladwin slowed the team's transition. And Nicholas concludes by saying, one big mistake of Sandro's was letting McDonald go without a Greer-type experienced replacement. Swindon being built as a sustainable club with an emphasis on young talent with a football director and head coach format off the pitch progress has been very good. And then block capitals, don't lose the plot. Hashtag STFC. Now, the reason why I opened up that tweet is because what I want to make absolutely clear, we want to try and get a balanced sort of, you know, debate going tonight amongst uh, amongst ourselves. But clearly, what there's some interesting choice of language there. Um, so, for example, Nicholas saying, like, off-the-pitch progress has been very good. Like, don't lose the plot. Um, he's mentioned a whole host of signings there. Hutton, Bryn, Lavinia, Khan, Wakeling, Kane. Fraser Blake Tracy, Rashawn Hepburn Murphy, Joe Tomlinson and George McEachern as 10 great players that our technical director has brought in to the football club. And he's also referencing this perfect storm as well. I mean, we can, without a shadow of a doubt, um, we were better than we were on Saturday with Saidu Khan back in the midfield, 100%. And, and Rashawn Hepburn Murphy was coming to the boil very nicely. But um, it's, it's, it's an interesting sort of counterbalance for a Twitter um, vibe, shall we say, that has been um, very negative and highly vociferous. So welcoming Max onto the panel, a slight late arrival. How are you, Max? Yeah, good, mate. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad. We'll listen to the tone of your voice. I know what side of the fence you're sitting on, so I'm going to come to you first. What, what, did, you make of, what did you make of that? I mean, I'm not, this isn't about whether we agree with Nicholas, don't agree with Nick. I think Nicholas makes some really, really valid points and provides a really nice counterbalance to some of the discord that's been bounding around today. Um, what was your take on some of the points that he's made? I mean, I 100% agree that those, especially those players he's listed, I think the one thing that has been good is we're bringing in good young players who are going to be good in the future, not necessarily right away. Although some of them like Hutton, Wakeling hit the ground running, that's fine. My the issue the issue for me with the recruitment is that that's the only sort of type of signing we're making other than Charlie Austin. I was actually looking while she was talking about um, the bench that we had last night, and I was looking at last season. You know the sort of run we had where we had to see out a lot of wins, and we were bringing on a Ben Gladwin, an experienced head, and we were bringing on a Jake O'Brien. Whilst Jake O'Brien was experienced, he was still a big, tall, physical player that could help you see out of out the game, then that's the main thing we're missing. We're missing those two things. We're missing a bit of physicality, and we are, like like it's been battered on about all day today and all, all night last night after the game, is a bit of experience to see those games out. Because last night could have easily been a win. I don't think, I think the sort of, I don't want to use the word meltdown because it's used all the time whenever this sort of thing happens, but 
I think it's because of the culmination of results and the fact, I think, what is it, three wins since October? Yeah, three wins since it's not, of October. Yeah, so it's not it's not a one-off thing. I think it's I think fans are just frustrated to see, look, some of these problems we're having is clear. We're not seeing our games. We're still struggling to defend from set pieces. So we need that's that so for me, that's what we need. We need a bit of experience and a bit of height, a bit of physicality in the team. And none of the signings have really been that mm. for me. Yeah. I mean it's it's an interesting one, Max, isn't it? Because I mean, I've, I've, it feels like I've been saying for about the last five years, it, it feels like town can't defend corners. And um, I mean, at the sponsors' dinner last year, I spoke to a few of the lads and had that conversation with them directly. I appreciate this was Ben Garner's team, but I just said, like, you know, is it is it something that, you know, am I, I said, am I seeing this the wrong way? Like, you know, is this something you guys are aware of? And they very openly stated, like, yeah, yeah, we are aware of this. I said, like, the thing is, but we're a footballing team. Appreciate we're in League Two, but we are we're physically, you know, we're not, you know, these big sort of six foot five monsters that we're kind of turning out against. And as a consequence of that, like we are going to get bullied when we are, you know, trying to, you know, defend corners when we are trying to defend free kicks. And I mean, I've not had that conversation with the squad this year or anyone in the squad this year, but that was a big sort of topic for last year. But it was like, look, if they're going to score from a free kick, then, you know, we're going to use our abilities to score too. You know, it's just the nature of the beast. We are going to lose some as a consequence of that. But, you know, but I don't know, Max. I, it feels like every time we give away a free kick in a wide area or like we give away a corner, I just stand there chewing my nails off. It's like... Well, we, oh, you get nervous. Yeah. Every time, yeah. I'm the, I'm the exact same and it's it's frustrating. And I, and I think the thing that saved us last year was that there was quality and experience all over the pitch. So you knew that, right, fine, we might concede... We might concede from a corner, we might concede for a free kick. But you know last season's team, more often than not, had at least two goals in it. And more often than not, if a team's only threat is a set piece, they might only get one against you. So you can counter that. But um, well, look, Max. Yeah, may, may, maybe a... Max. Let's let's bring Nig- yeah. Nigel's. But Nigel was very, very polite and very patient as the as as we had our full start at the start of the show. Um, Nigel, I've got I think I've got a, I think I've got a pretty good vibe for how you're going to make your show debut, mate. How's firstly welcome to the show? Congratulations on making your show debut. Take it away, mate. Yeah, thanks, it's back to yours. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. That's great. I've been listening to you for a while. It's great. Yeah, um, everything, everything you said, so everyone said so far is, is uh, spot on, really. But this has been going on for years, hasn't it? We're a soft touch. This club has been a soft touch for donkeys' years. When was the last time we had like the Ray McHale or the Chris Kamara, someone to put their foot in in midfield and actually do something and drive us forward and win the ball and tackle? All the players are all the same, 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 same. Not only they're inexperienced, it's just none of them can tackle. There's no determination. Mm. Well, I tell, I tell, so <laughs> I tell you where that player so was. I tell you where that player was, Nigel, last night. That player was Anthony Grant, and he was in the uh, away end with half the support. He was in the he's in the away end exactly with a coat on, <laughs> a hoodie up. Yeah. Exactly, but it it's frustrating, isn't it? Don't you think? Uh, I, listen, Can they not see that? I mean, there's young players. I understand that. They sign young players. There must be some young players who can tackle, surely, that they can get. It's well, not like having all these ball players and all these technical passing and things, but they don't even do that, do they? Well, what, what did you make of George McEachern last night, Nigel? Obviously, we talked I about him, and I know you tweeted. Played, as someone who hasn't played for that long, I thought he had, he was great. Mm. But how long is it going to be before he's dragged down to the level of the rest? Well, look, J- Jason's <laughs> tweeted, Nigel, to say that, you know, George McEachern hadn't played a competitive game for 131 days. So, for us to get over 70 minutes out of him, that is some shift. I mean, I... I, I, I 
I, I agree with Jason. Like, I wholeheartedly agree with Jason. But you know, and I've got to say that George didn't give the impression last night that he was he was shy of a tackle. But is is he that kind of talismanic sort of presence that you had from an Anthony Grant or you know, like you said, some of the some of the heroes of yesteryear. You know, your, your Ray McHale's, etc. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he necessarily brings that to the table. I wouldn't think so. I mean, he, he played well, but I just thought that's a sad indictment of the rest of them. Mm. You know, he hasn't played all that time and he's showing them up. What are they? What do they do all week? What do they... Like training? What do they do in training? What are they practising? I don't know. Mm. It's the same mistakes over and over and over. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? The same thing. It doesn't matter who plays, but it's only really Fraser at the back who actually determined to win the ball. The rest of them, like, I don't know. It's just like... It's, I'm, it's like being smaller than someone, but at least try, jump. Make an effort. Get in the way. Elbow. Do something. Mm. But they just stand there. Just watch people. Just push them around. It's like, I mean, all, all anyone has to do now is just get physical against us. They'll beat us. They don't have to play football. Let us have the ball. Don't matter. We ain't going to score. If we score, they'll just elbow us, foul us, shithouse us, and beat us. Yeah. It's just we're just going to go down, aren't we? It's just so frustrating. The whole thing. Hannah's can I can I let my rant off my chest because it's it's uh, eating away at me and I. <laughs> I've, I've even I've even written it down. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> go on, Ellis. You, you go for it, Nigel. If, if you just as, as a newbie to the show, if you if you mute your mic, mate, we will we'll try and come back to you if we possibly can. But go on, go on, Ellis. No worries. Thanks, buddy. Nigel, right. outstanding uh, contribution, mate, for your debut. Thank you for that. Go on, Ellis. Well, where to start? But um, so the issue is not the business side of the football club. Um, the, the business side of the football club is pro- probably the best it's been in years. You, you know, we've we, we just bought the ground. Um, Clem paid off millions, millions of, of debt. Like, that is not the issue. The business side is not the issue. Um, I personally believe the issue lies within... Um, within the recruitment area um but it's a tricky one because all these players that we're bringing in they're they're good players um Marcel Lavinia Hepburn Murphy um Jake Wakelin Jake Kane uh all the all these players that they're, they're, they're top players Clayton another, another really good player I I think the issue is we're we're playing under twenty ones football in League Two. It's really not going to work. League Two is is probably one of the most physical leagues in the in the um in the in the EFL. And you know when when you've got a load of uh, like under twenty ones sort of under twenty threes side, we're not a physical side, and we 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 get caught out so many times. So many times we get caught out just just. Just sort of the physicality aspect, um, and yeah, like I said, these all these players—they're good players, but they haven't got the experience around them. Mm. Um, like for example, Angus McDonald—he he might not have been everyone's cup of tea, but he had the experience. We sell him; we don't have a replacement for him. I'm not being funny. We knew since probably December that we need another centre back through the door and we, we didn't sign one all of all of January that 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 would be my main priority is, is a centre back and 
we we still haven't signed one yet. We're still assessing our options. We've known since December we've needed one. Um, but Charlie Austin, top signing. Yeah, I don't, po- probably no better player we could have bought in than Charlie Austin. But you saw, you sell Ben Gladwin, one of the, one of our most experienced players. Um, Louis Reed, he's got experience. I know he he hasn't had the best start, but when you're selling these players and bringing players in that have barely played thirty league have barely made thirty league appearances, it's not going to work. We we've got the the model works in in some ways. McCurdy, for example, I think that's where this model worked perfectly. We, I believe we got McCurdy in on a free. Mm-hmm. Um, we then go on and sell him for 300000 plus plus add-ons. That That is when that model works. You know, he's a... <laughs> McCurdy's a touchy player. He, he Everywhere he's gone, it hasn't worked, but it clicked, yeah, but it clicked at Swindon. Ellis, Ellis, let me let me jump in here, because there's a few names yeah. I'm going to... I'll mention to you, right? If I was to say to you, Matt Bowdry... Michael Doughty or Danny Rose, Owen Doyle, you're looking at the spine or three of the four players from the spine of Richie Wellens' League Two Championship winning team. And they were all experienced pros. So all of them sort of certainly, um, well, Doughty and and Danny Rose were in their late, were mid to late 20s, let's say, to be polite. But Doughty, even when he was in his mid-twenties, kind of has always had the outlook of a kind of an experienced pro. He's always had that presence about him. Um, Doyle was the other side of 30, very experienced pro. Leaders. You're talking about leaders in the dressing room. You know, you talk to any of the players from the 2018 squad, and they'll tell you, like, Danny Rose was crucial as a leader in and around that squad. You know, somebody that was whispering in people's ears, like keeping everyone level. Um, even if you go back and look in the goalkeeping department, it's easy to go, yeah, Stephen Bender was a kid. But Stephen Bender was propped up by Luke McCormick as well, um, who was also really important if you talk to the goalkeeping department from that season. And everyone will tell you that Luke McCormick was incredibly important to the squad and to Stephen Bender's development as well. Not only from a competition point of view, but just in terms of being in his ear and helping him develop and supporting him. Well, your point about Gladwin is really interesting, isn't it? Because... I mean, there was a the quote that got apportioned to Charlie after the game last night where he was talking about, um, supposedly or allegedly, talking about when he arrived, there was a lot of experience in the squad and obviously things have changed now. And now it's about the younger players and those younger players being brave and bringing them on. But, you know, fundamentally, you know, Ben Gladwin's one of those players, I think, that whether you like him or whether you don't like him, um, Ben Gladwin's one of those players that, you know, he's... He's a player that, from a fan's perspective, we knew that we, you know, that he can find the top corner from thirty yards. He'll, he'll frustrate you possibly for eighty-nine minutes, but that one moment of magic. But crucially, in and around the dressing room, he's a leader. So, yeah, it's an interesting point that you that that you make, um, Ellis. I was going to bring. Um, I know Adam, Adam, you're quite keen to join us, mate. You're, you're always welcome, pal. Um, so Adam, unmute your mic, mate, and let us know your thinking around this because I know certainly Nick Coote's um, uh, tweet sort of like um, pricked your ears up, and um, and you got some thoughts around the thread. Where's your head at, pal? Yeah, uh, good evening. How are we doing? Obviously, you know, it was nice to catch up with you in the Legends Lounge, uh, the Doncaster game, and speak to you. So here's where I stand with this, right? Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, loud and clear, pal. 
tweet, yeah. So here's where I stand with this whole thing. I've always been a firm believer that the lower down the leagues you go in this country, the more and more physical and demanding it gets for everyone. Um, you know, I saw this Khan transfer come in pre-season and I said, you know what, this boat's going to be solid. You know, looking at his highlights uh, at Chesterfield, I believe, where we got him from. He was, um, he looked solid and he played the ball around. And, you know, to be solid uh, in the National League, there are some big players there because this is where the big pros start dropping down. Now, like you said about the teams of like Doyle and stuff like that, you had big players uh, who would hold their own. And like you say, you could rely on them in these big moments. I've got no dramas with young players coming in. But there's an extent at the end of the day because, you know, OK, we've got all these talented young players in. If we're not performing on the pitch as a whole, what are the chances of these blokes actually staying for the long term instead of us, you know, showing that they can do a bit and them going off to a bigger club uh, for a few pennies, which seems to be what Sandro was doing in that transfer window. Now, youngsters do work when you're a more established club in a higher league. So you look at Liverpool, you know, they can bring on a youngster like Harvey Elliott who can actually hold his own and he can do what he needs to do on a Premier League pitch. But there's a senior squad with lots of experience at that level, which is a reason why the teams like that are up there. Uh, as well as money, obviously. Um, but for us in League Two, we're in a physical league where we need big players. Where when I was talking on deadline day about the big opposing central defensive midfielder to play the ball around like your Diagaras and your Linganzis and you know even Anthony Grant, like you say, these players need to be there. And at the minute, I think there's we've gone too much to that one side of where we've got all these youngsters. And yes, they're all great players in their own right. I thought George was, aside from Charlie, one of the top blokes who actually looked like they gave a crap last night, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that would be because of his debut. But at the end of the day, you need that experience. And I think when you go too much to that one side where you've just got all these young lads who are good players in their own right, we're just going to get to a point where it doesn't click, promotion starts slipping away. And for me, I've already... You know, stop thinking about promotion. I think we're just going to be lucky to sort of sit within the top ten. I think if it keeps going the way it is going, and we need a we need a driving factor for these players to want to stay past their uh, contracts and for them to actually be happy with us declining an offer from elsewhere. Because at the minute, I don't see it. If these few players have their standout performances and it keeps happening, we're going to get to a point where clubs are going to start asking for them, and they're not going to want to stay uh, with a club that's not going anywhere. You know, mm. I agree with Ellis that behind the scenes, the club is, you know, in a better place than it's been in a long time. You know, unfortunately for me, I haven't been around in the football world long enough to get to see the higher days of Swindon. You know, my first season with the club was watching them get relegated under Luke Williams. That was my very first <laughs> season. And, and you're still um, here, Adam. God bless you. And, and I'm still here. That was the end of that season. I got the team tattooed on my leg. Do you know what I mean? I thought, you know, this is the place for me because I can see this is my local club and I'm going to support them. I'm just getting to a point now where, you know, I'm nearing my 22nd birthday, which means I'm paying adult prices now. And for me to walk up to that turnstile every week after paying £21, because this season, because of work, I didn't bother with a season ticket, £21 a week to watch performances where I know that even when we score, like the Sutton game, I sat there and I thought, OK, now the second goal hasn't come yet. I'm getting a little bit anxious. And as soon as they scored, I sat back in my chair because I watched it on iFollow and I thought, you know what? 
I could probably place a hundred quid on them scoring another goal, and I'd get my quids in. I just knew it was coming, mm. and it's come from a point where, you know, I remember that Doyle season and Yates and you know the players like that, where I could walk into that ground every week and know that we'd probably be two 0 up by half time, comfortably, mm. and we would be schooling teams. We're at a point now where. I agree with uh, what Nigel was saying. For so many years, Swindon have always looked like a small, like just a team of tiny players in a big boys league. And it's felt like that for so many years. And we do genuinely just don't look there. You know, we had... It's, look at the teams that are doing us. So you look at Sutton. This is a team that a couple of years ago was in the National League. They've got big, strong players. You know, Stockport that slaps us in the FA Cup big, strong players that have just come up from the National League. And we're trying to play fancy pants with, um, you know, Premier League players. Well, Premier League youngsters. You know, I think at the end of the day, you need that balance. And if it's not going to be balanced, it needs to sway more towards the experience side. League Two is a league for these players that have done it, been there and done it in the Championship and League One, who don't quite have the legs for the good youngsters at that level of football. And they have to drop down to keep playing. I'll, I'll tell you what, Adam, those are the players we need. I'll tell you what, Adam, it's a really interesting point. And if you think... <laughs> wow. Where was my clap? How about that? <laughs> um, that wasn't from me. That's really good, whoever did that. Um, all I'll thank say... you, Nigel. Uh, yeah, th- thank you. All I'll say is this. Um, if you think about our business model, about bringing on young players, selling them for profit, I'll, I'll, I'll put a couple of names to you. Um, as, as as players that you might we, we may be interested in to debate. So I'm going to cast your mind back before your time, Adam. We would go back to the Paolo Di Canio era, and we took Matt Ritchie off of Portsmouth as a as a young pretender. Portsmouth obviously were right up the leagues at the time. Um, we bring Matt Ritchie in. We give him his, a consistent opportunity uh, to play his football uh, out on the flank, and he does so to a plot. Um, Bar the the kind of some of the financial hurdles that the club was experiencing at the time, we made a healthy profit on Matt Ritchie, and then obviously with sell-on clauses and whatnot, we've done very nicely off the back of him. Thank you very much. Um, go on to the Richie Wellens era, and if you start thinking about that side and go through that scene, now a player that we didn't necessarily we didn't necessarily make profit from. But I think if we had had our time again, we probably would have gone on to make healthy profit from him. Was Jerry Yates? So Jerry Yates was all up for joining Swindon Town. We couldn't quite. I think they needed a couple of hundred grand uh, to take him off of uh, take him off of Rotherham. Um, we couldn't quite write that check at the time. Um, Blackpool could, and they've taken him up, taken him off over the black. And 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 look at what he's achieved at Blackpool. Now, the, I mean, the kid, the, the kid's just gone from strength to strength. There's a period where he's he's been in and out of the team, but that kid's now an asset. And I te- it's I take your point, Adam. I mean, I I. I look at the the number of appearances, like senior English football appearances. I'm not talking about Sol Brin playing X number of times for Queen of the South. I'm talking about senior appearances down south in the English leagues. And I look at that and I go, is it necessary for players 1 to 11 to have that level of experience or even 9 of the 11 to have that level of experience, which has pretty much been our model the last few weeks? I think we can still have that model Get out of the leagues with a, you know, with with, with teams akin to your Wellens side, and still look to sell on three or four players and make pretty significant profits. Thank you very much, because those are players that are delivering sustained success. So 
yeah, I kind of, I, I, I take your point, buddy. I mean, you know, Matt... Hannah's, Hannah's. Sorry, could I butt in there? Yeah, yeah, go on. I've, 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 I said it earlier, but the prime example is Harry McCurdy. Last season, we probably would have made more profit out of Harry McCurdy than a lot of these players combined this season. Um, you know, we got him in on, in on a in on a free. We controlled his behaviour. He ended up scoring what twenty four goals last season. Sold him on for like over three hundred grand. Might have even been four hundred grand. It's that is good business, but he. We got the best out of him because we had good players around him, good experienced players around him, like Jack Payne. Um, obviously, Williams we've still got now. Baldry, Conroy, you know, all these players that they've played in the leagues and it sort of allowed McCurdy to have have a safety net almost. Um, but yeah, when, when you've got... All young players in your squad, they've got no one to learn off, and at the end of the day, the only time they're going to make they're going to make the mistakes are in the game, and it and we saw it yesterday. It, it cost us the game yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah, it's totally. I think Adam was saying it about how just this this squad. You look at it, and especially since we got rid of Reed, Gladwin, and McDonald, it's so imbalanced all all over the pitch. The defense is completely imbalanced because. Well, now with McDonald and what's our oldest defender is probably Brennan at twenty two, Hutton at twenty four, um, with not a whole lot of league games under their belts. Like, uh, and this model is only going to be. Let's say you do it for this season. You've got all these players, and you might sell a couple. But if you keep going down this model where you've got an imbalanced squad. The players aren't going to improve. They're just going to go into their shells because they're going to be getting bullied every single week with no one to back them up on the pitch. Yeah, it, and. Don't get me wrong. the The players that we're bringing in are good players, like uh, Hepburn Murphy, on his day, an amazing striker. Uh, Marcel Lavinia, on his day, probably arguably one of the best players in the league. But but they've not got the player the players to learn off. Um, they haven't got the safety net there. Um, it's, it's just the players individually are all good. But they just they need the players to learn off. Yeah, you know, like you know, I'm not saying as a whole that having young players is a bad thing. You know, and I'm not just saying it because Mars Hal's in an incident. But he is a quality player, you know. And going back to your point with Matt Ritchie when we had him, you know, I, I, I still know about the history of the club, even though I wasn't there to witness it with my own eyes. Players like Matt Ritchie that come down to your league and smash a season or a few seasons or whatever. And they go back up there and they become a staple at a Premier League club. That happens, granted, but it's very few and far between. You know, you think of how many professional footballers there are or people that are trying to make it in those higher leagues that just don't because they haven't got it. But there are players out there that do have it. And, you know, you do get lucky with players like that who come down and you find some absolute gems, you know. But I think when you've got so many youngsters that you're banking on making it, you just know that that margin for error of not getting the right guy is just exacerbated massively because of how many you've got in at one time. Yeah, and I now mean, going back as well, Adam, going back onto the um, going back onto the point you said as well about um, when we had Yates and that, and um, how we couldn't quite get the deal over the line for players like Yates because of you know we did we couldn't we couldn't put the numbers on the contract or you know 
give give Rotherham the numbers that we needed. If we had that model, that business model that we had in the, in terms of recruiting the the recruitment model, sorry, that we had in that tenure, if we had that with the backing of the owner that we've got now in Clem, as opposed to Power, there was nothing stopping us grabbing these players that we wanted at that time, which we knew were going to do the job for us, and we wouldn't be sat here moaning about where we're at now. Mm. I mean, it's an interesting one. I guess the key word that you're using, Alan, is is balance, right? Because if you go back to that Paolo Di Canio side, you know, it, we we could have you would you would hope that the business would have done a better deal to have got Wes Fodder in on on a contract and sold him on for profit. He's someone that's playing further up the leagues. Aidan Flynn was another one that slipped through our fingers and went and played further up the leagues. You know, significant amount of of money he was traded for. Alan McCormack went and played further up the leagues with Brentford, followed, like, continued his, you know, his success as Brentford continued to grow and then went on. And these these guys aren't necessarily getting to the Premier League. You know, we mentioned, you know, we mentioned Matt Ritchie and there are others from that squad. Um, and, and likewise, the Richie Welland squad as well. You mentioned the like, you know, I can mention the likes of Keshi Anderson. You know, these are all guys that have slipped through our fingers and gone further up the leagues and sustained themselves further up the league. So to Adam's point, we're not necessarily talking about players making it all the way to the Prem, but teams that are in the in the Championship are still spending a lot of money on their transfers. So, um, but look, we'll, um, we're having we've an absolute glut of um, people wanting to contribute to the debate. Not necessarily everyone wants to come on with a speaker request, but we've had plenty of tweets. Um, so, Luke, good evening to you, Luke. Luke saying from our earlier point, agree, Hannahs, it was weird to take Charlie Austin off for the sake of a few minutes, especially at 1-0 one nil up. And it was no coincidence that we collapsed immediately after the experience comes off the pitch. It was a big shame after working so hard for 85 minutes. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Luke. Um, Aaron's tweeted, good evening, Aaron, how are you? Aaron Chahal has said, um, uh, the thread referring to Nick Nicholas Coote's thread that we read out at the top of the show, that thread was the only tweet stroke tweet um, that uh, appears to be defending Sandro. What about Sandro flogging all the experience and tearing the dressing room apart? I'm sure you missed off allegedly there, Aaron, but um, I'm sure it was meant to be on your tweet somewhere, so I'll put it on there for you. Um, John Saunders, good evening, John. Uh, the camel himself, John says, Max, you are spot on about O'Brien. Um, but John also goes on to say um, that apparently Charlie Austin asked to come off, um, which is interesting. I don't know whether he's referenced that, and if he did after the game, then I'd be interested to know why someone that is wearing the captain's armband would have asked to have come off on 85 minutes. Um, Jason's tweeted, uh, just in reply to you, um, Nigel, saying, sorry, Nigel, but players are now coached to be technical as part of the England FA DNA. Uh, yeah, well, to a point, unless you play for Sutton. Um, uh, James, good evening. James, all the way from Florida. And he says, the general was commentating on the Doncaster match and made several comments about how appalling our defence has been of late. This new breed of players that we were signing are soft, pure and simple. We need some nasty buggers in the back line. ASAP. I mean, listen, I already said, like last season at the sponsors' dinner, you know, they were openly commenting, uh, commenta- uh, commenting to us, the squad were, that they just know that, listen, what, what our club has chosen to do, and I believe they've continued to do it this year, is that they're trading up style over substance. Um, that's probably the wrong way to put it, actually. They're trading up technical ability. That's a better way of putting it. Technical ability um, over just the the rugged practicalities of, of, a, of a League 2 defence. Um, 
Justin is tweeting, um, just following on from what John was saying. He said, yep, he was signaling to come off for a while, referring to Charlie wanting to come off and then waving his arms around um, uh, and then had a waving arms moment with Jody. Um, interesting. Um, uh, got a tweet saying, quite like Adam. Well done, Adam. Um, that's also come from John. Um, and Chris has tweeted as well, uh, following on from you, Lee, Luke. Chris has tweeted, he felt the same. Jody will know the task now if he didn't. I do feel there is hope, though, as always. Um, Steve's tweeted, Matt, Matt Ritchie was phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to get any anybody disagreeing in that respect. And Luke has just tweeted saying, badly need Lavinia back, bought some massive help in defence and going forward. Now, OK, so we'll just follow on from that. I mean, Max, this is probably one for you. Um we the, the the point that Nick made in that in that tweet thread was an interesting one, wasn't it? Because he talked about the perfect storm of suspension and injuries to key players. Is it fair at this stage to be referring to Marcel Lavinier, Tyree Shade, Saidu Khan as key players? Do we feel they've got enough mileage in the tank to be referred to as key players yet? I think they're definitely some of our better players, but I mean, I mean. Pretty much every team goes through this at some stage. I mean, look at us back in, I think it was February last year. I remember going to Tranmere with no one on the bench and having to put players out of position. And like, you just have to, especially this part, kind of, this part of the season post Christmas where you've had a lot of games and players got a lot of minutes in their legs, you kind of got to just deal with it, right? But that's what you build a squad for. And it comes back to the thing of the squad is unbalanced and we don't have the squad to cope with playing. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, especially when you've got to go to physical places like Sutton. Salford on Saturday is not going to be much easier. Um, I know we've got a tough running coming up. Um, but I think Khan does... I think I think I agree on Khan because I think he brings a bit more balance to the midfield. I think he's a bit more of an all-rounder. And whilst he is a bit overzealous sometimes, he has got a decent tackle in when he wants to. Um, I think getting Khan back in the team could be important. Um, I didn't. I didn't get to see the whole game last night, so I, I can't comment too much on that. But I don't know how how well he played with McEachern. Hmm. He was uh, he was decent. I mean, it was it was all nice and neat and tidy. And I mean, I felt as as the second half wore on, Sutton just continued to increase their, um, uh, you know their their kind of footprint on the game. But to my earlier point, to be honest, Sutton are a team that just bypassed the midfield anyway. You know, they were launching balls forward, left, right, and centre. You know, all their success was coming off the second balls that were dropping in the 18-yard box. So, you know, big punt in and around the box or, you know, looping it up into the box, us sort of dealing or half-dealing with the first ball. And then that second ball dropping, Sutton were onto it like absolute rockets. And I just felt as we as the game went on and we tired, and also as we took that little bit of nails out of the mix, I just thought that we were vulnerable to it. And, and, and so, it, you, know, to, you know, to them sort of nicking something off it. And so it proved, sadly. Jump in there on yeah, you can especially see that on the second goal, can't you? The second goal is all sorry, sorry about that. And the second goal is a combination of bounces and players not dealing with the ball as best they can, and players kind of looking around to where they should be, constantly looking over their shoulder for their man. And I think that's how their number eight gets onto the goal. Because I think it's um, I think it's Hutton's man that he ends up losing just through the chaos in the box that we couldn't deal with. Mm. It, yeah, the point the point we made, um, you know, as you were saying about these big physical players. That's the reason Sutton are bypassing and wanging the, wanging the ball up the pitch. You look at it, it's, it's simple from Sutton's coaching point of view. If they're sat there thinking, you know, we're towering over every single one of their players, 
Why not bang it up the pitch? We've got the physicality to get in front of those defenders, bring the ball down out of the air and have a go at goal. That's all they had to do for the second half because they just knew that they could do it. And it's not hard to cotton on to that fact. You know, just look at look at the teams that have been getting promoted from League Two in the last few seasons. You know, I remember when Lincoln got promoted, that was a big team that bullied us. And I travelled all the way up there to watch us get slapped 4-1 by those guys. And that was even the season where we had like the players like Keshi and stuff like that. You know, we've had when Atkinson Stanley went up, big players like Billy Key could just hold the ball up and have a go at goal. You know, it's the teams like that that seem to be finding the success. And how you can't just see that. That's that's an ongoing trend. And look at Leighton Orient now at the minute. They've got big players. They've got, they've still got Harry Smith, right? He used to play for us. They've actually loaned him out, mate, or not. But yeah. Oh, no, they I... loaned him out. But when he, when, he, when he was there, especially, you know, like last season, he, he gave us so much drama when we went up to their place. And Leighton Orient absolutely bent us over, you know, to put it softly. Big players who can really, you know, make an impact. And, you know, slow the game down and bring the ball down out of the air and give themselves those chances. Mm. You know, so, those players Adam, don't exist. Adam, Aaron's followed up his earlier tweet. Thanks, Aaron, Aaron for um, adding an extra layer to this. Aaron's saying there's nothing allegedly about it, Hannahs. Um, Austin and Morris told us yesterday directly and indeed indirectly what they think about the current state of the squad. Kids everywhere. Need old heads and winners in the spine. Caved in yesterday, weak mentality. Um, well, there, there's your issue right there, Hannahs. When when your captain Charlie Austin and your manager are saying you you need more experienced players, you know it's not it's not just coming from us us silly fans. It's coming from the captain. It's coming from the manager. We need more experienced players, and. You know, selling our most experienced players and and replacing them with twenty one year olds is it's not the solution. Well, look, look at how deflated they both were. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Hannahs, but just no, like, no. look, watching those two interviews from Charlie and Jody. Jody's been here for three games, and the man looks done with it already. You know, and I I, I know he'll push on, and I've got I've, I've got he's got my full back in. I don't know about you guys, but he could just you could just see the frustration in his face and the way. You know, Charlie was sort of saying, oh, you know, that's the direction the football club's going in and it's not a bad thing having kids there. You you can read between the lines there. He's not happy with sort of like what he's got around him. Charlie wants success, regardless of dropping down the leagues. Charlie is a player where when he walks in that dressing room and he says something, you listen to it because he's talking sense and he's got that experience in the higher levels. My prem team for my family side was Southampton, so it's never really been like Charlie's been away for a lot of it. you know. And he's always been that player where you can rely on him. But we're getting to a point now where you need more than just that one point of failure because yeah, then things are going to start about, falling apart. It's about balance, Adam, like to your point earlier. And um, Jason's made an interesting point. Thank you, Jason. Jason's just tweeted to say, interesting, many a true word said in jest. Jason says, bring back Sir Tom to SM1. Um, Broadbent bullied Oxford. Well, t- like if you if you take if you take that point um, to its extreme, that's exactly kind of what we're saying, is it not? You know, you look at what Sutton did to us last night. It's exactly 
what we did when we bought Sir Tom on and threw him up front against Oxford. Um, he put himself about, you know, he, he bullied younger players, smaller physically, sort of, you know, less dominating, uh, domineering players. We got a couple of goals off the back of it. We ended up picking up um, picking up a really valuable three points. Didn't mean much at the end of the season, but hey, we spawned a show off the back of it. So it obviously meant something to someone. Um, Nigel, sorry, you got your hand up, mate. Did you want to pitch in again, mate? Do you want to extend on this? Yeah, it's just that uh, you know, it's great having all these technical players. But if we were doing fast you know, one touch, two touch, you know, using the technique, the, their skills, and actually going forward and getting somewhere with it, it wouldn't be so bad. But they don't even do that, do they? They can't even. I mean, yesterday the, the ten yard passes, they couldn't even do that. It's it's like what do they do all week? You know, they just get they get spooked out by it, don't they? And I suppose you're getting battered around the pitch and. People are kicking you around and you're getting kicked, lumps kicked out of you. Well, and then there's, there's no experience, there's no direction, there's only Charlie up front. He can't be everywhere. And it's, the whole thing's a shit show, isn't it? I've, I've realised we've got people missing that would be better if they were playing. But how much better? I, I think Morris actually touched on that um, in, in one of his... I don't know if it was a post-match interview. Uh, but, well, anyway, he... <laughs> It was along the lines of, um, it's just like you said, Nigel. Simple things like a ten-yard pass. Mm. You can have all the tactics in the world, and you know, I don't doubt that Matt Morris is is a top manager. Like I, I back him completely. But if the players that you've got in can't do that job, can't do that task, it's not going to work. Mm. Well, I certainly at the moment the confidence is down. I mean, how are we going to get out of this? God knows. You know, it's just going to go on. We ain't going to win on Saturday. Then we'll play a Harrogate. Where we got next? They'll do the same thing. They'll just come down, oop the ball around, shit house kick. It's the same thing every game. Where are we going to get out of this? Mm. Well, let's let's hope Louis's got a, a solution. So Louis asked to join us for a speaker request. How are we, Louis? Good evening to you, mate. How are we going to get? I'm good. How are we going to get out of this? Nigel said. I, I really don't know how we're going to get out of it. I, we were absolutely bullied last night. Absolutely bullied. None, none of our centre-backs could do anything. Even Bryn was making mistakes. He dropped the ball. It was, it was, it was chaotic last 10 minutes. They were all over us. I couldn't believe what I was in on the radio. It was just like crazy. It was like, it was, it was, it was awful. It was awful 10 minutes. It, it was the same as Doncaster. Two goals conceded in three, four minutes yet again. I don't know what that is. Nigel said, I don't know what they do in a week for defending. Mm. Well, the, the, the thing is, Hannah, is I said it earlier, they're all good players. Um, we've, see, we've seen it. We, we, we've seen it this season. 5-0 against Grimsby. Mansfield. We, we've seen these players play well, so we know they can. It's just, I think the lack of experience is is the issue. Mm. It it's especially when you go one uh, when you when you uh, concede a goal yesterday, it's having the experience that to either see out that that game or even get another goal. Um, but it's the 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 lack of experience that then goes on for you to concede another go- goal. And lose the game. Juggle that with consistency as well, Ellis. So, sorry, guys. Matt S seems to agree with you, Ellis, as well. Matt S has tweeted in to say we signed Charlie to get us promoted. 
we're wasting that signing when there is no experience in the rest of the side. The younger players need the Gladwins and the McDonald's around them. I mean, look, it's a it's a consistent theme, isn't it? I think general the general vibe amongst everyone that's spoken tonight and people that are tweeting in is that I don't think any of us and and bearing in mind we're the paying public here. And I said at the start of the show, you know, the the guys that have our club and that are are paid to run our club are the custodians of our club. You know, we are we are the ones that you know ultimately buy the season tickets. You know, we're the ones that put the spirit into the club. The the club were very very quick to come out and recognise just how much we were missed uh, when the COVID season kicked in, um, and how welcome we were, we were when we came back in. And I think by and large, Clem's been um, an ideal owner in that respect in terms of the how much stake he's put in. With how the and and the the role of the fans, you know, ensuring that the trust have got a voice, making sure that we've got an advisory board, and yeah, of course, I know there are people that are always going to take pot shots um, at the way he's done that, but no other owner in the history of Swindon Town, certainly whilst I've been a follower of the club, getting on for forty odd years, has given the fans the level of voice in and around the club that our current owner has. So I think, I th- but but having said that, if you if you're listening to the fans tonight. And you're, you know, bearing in mind, I think we're about a week away from announcing the season ticket prices for next season. You know, you're asking an awful lot to ask fans to renew their season tickets if we're going to be looking at a squad from one to eleven that is tops going to be having about three hundred senior UK appearances. But you know, between them, I think Dean McMackin tweeted earlier. Good evening, Dean. How are you, Dean? Dean tweeted that Charlie's got more goals. Than, um, than our more senior goals than our than our entire first team last night has got um, senior appearances, and that kind of puts puts into perspective. So I think if we're the paying public and if the customer is always right, then surely you've got to kind of give the customers what they're asking for. And I think what you seem to be hearing from the Swindon fan, Town fans tonight is nothing wrong with youth, nothing wrong. That's that, that's great. Let's get exciting youth in and amongst the squad. Let's bring these lads on. You know, let's sell these guys on for profit. But surely, like, can we get the balance right? You know, and can we have some experienced pros mixed in and not just view everybody as a as a potential um, financial liability um, or Hammers. As, a, as, a, as a lost leader? Yeah, go on, buddy. I've got a question. Um, we, we've been sort of had contradicting views thrown at us um, regarding promotion. Um, you know... A couple of months back, Sandro come out and said the main sort of um, what's the word? The main sort of goal is selling, is developing these young players and selling selling them on. And then there was a big uproar from from the fan base. Um, and and then you had Clem and Rob, and then even Sandro coming out and said um, that promotion is is the main priority, but. You do sort of have to have to ask the question: Is it really the main priority? I mean, if it's not, be open, be transparent, and say, "Look, you know, we're 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 trying to generate money within within the business for the club. It's you know, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Or, or like, because essentially, what I'm seeing is when. Well, the the way we're heading, we're not getting promotion. So, if if we're not if we're not aiming for that this season, be open and be transparent. Don't make false promises. Why is the goal? Sorry, but why is the goal to be a feeder club at the end of the day? 
you know, from from my personal perspective, some of the most successful clubs in football aren't massive business business ventures for the owners. You know, a lot of cases, you know, teams are spending a lot more than they're bringing in because, you know, speculate to accumulate. If you want success, you're going to have to put your hand in the pocket and take risks. We can't just sit here all the time. What is the point in us as fans going to watch Swindon week in, week out with no chance of any, you know, like cup runs or promotion pushes? All we're doing is watching players develop for us to then flog off and not even get the benefit out of them improving, apart from a few extra quid in the bank. Clem's come in as an owner with a fair few quid in his pocket. And like you say, he's just written off the debts. Okay, we might be trying to fill his back pocket again with, you know, the profit we're going to make. But it's not enough. I would rather us dip our hands in our pockets as a club, buy some players, have them develop, but then keep them and keep pushing. Because what's stopping... Swindon from being a club like Luton who could just go back-to-back promotions and sit comfortable in the championship when you're in the championship and you can stay there stably mm. okay there's nothing wrong with bringing in youngsters yeah, nothing wrong with bringing in youngsters when you're in the championship and selling them on for profit because you're already there you're an established club you know if we're looking at things like upgrading the stadium you know ticket prices are going up the money's going in there you know we're, we're upgrading this, we're buying the stadium and we're upgrading it and I don't think this extra, this little hundred grand here and there on a couple players is going to make too massive of a change to that. What's going to make it more is being in a higher league with a higher with a bigger stadium, higher attendance, you know, more ticket revenue coming in. You know, the, the further you go into cup runs, the more likely you are to get on telly. You know, if you're pushing higher leagues, you're going to get spots on Sky Sports because we know League One and League Two barely gets on telly, especially mm. not. Up- season anyway we can't be trying to be a feeder in league two we need to be higher than that in order to start getting this thing to sort of like get some gas in the cooker and get it going it's we're not in a position to do that right now we need to be pushing for promotion at least to league one at the very 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 like we need to championship is where this football club belongs and with vision that the owners got we should be higher than where we are now before we even think about developing players I'm not sure that they realise what a big club we could be. We're the second biggest club in this division, going by the attendances after Bradford. And let's face it, they give their tickets away virtually up there, don't they? You know, they, they, their season tickets about what is it, a couple of hundred quid in it or something? Well, no, Nigel, you're you're of a similar. But they just don't get it, do they? They just don't get it. We've got a massive catchment area. We've got massive potential. You're getting ten thousand people showing up to watch this crap, game after game after game after game. And they're just throwing it all away. The season ticket is going to be about three thousand next year. For that, mm. I mean, not not. It's, they need it's, to it's, think about what they're doing. They really need to think about what they're doing quick. Mm. Well, uh, Nigel, you're you're of a similar sort of similar age to me. I would say we probably we breathed a lot of the same air and we've attended a lot of the a lot of the similar games. And I mean, I, I always make the same point about it. You know, I look at I look at Swindon as a catchment area, and I see a town that is basically a town that's a city. You know, we've got. You know, getting on for 300,000 people living inside Swindon. You've got, you know, a, a who's who of blue chip companies that are based in and around the town. Um, and we are the only professional football club within a, a an enormous radius, the number of which I always end up forgetting. But there is there is a huge appetite um, in and around Swindon. And, and the interesting thing is that when, when Clem first took over, I genuinely felt that Clem lit the touch paper the problem that you've got at the moment is that it feels that 
there are people that are contributing to Clem lighting the touch paper whose whose model, quite frankly, hasn't sated the appetite of the humble punter that is the you and I that want to come come in the come, because no matter which way you cut it, you can have all the strategies in the world, but. If you haven't got a winning football team on the pitch, people aren't going to come and watch it, are they? Like, I don't care. We, we need to get up. We, we need to get up one division at the most. Definitely, you get if you could get to the championship, then piss around with this model. Mm. Not do it down where we are now. It's, it's, just, it's, it's a waste of your time. Like you, say, like you say, three hundred thousand people live in Swindon, and we're scraping ten thousand yeah. on a Saturday. You know, yeah. I, I sit there and I, you know, the amount of friends of mine that I say, oh, you know, come with me to the game today. Oh, why would I want to go and watch that shit for? They would rather sit at home, annoyingly, and watch these Prem teams on the telly. They think football is a TV oh, show. And it's, that's like, you know, there's, there's kids walking around in the county ground. With, like, it's like, it's a tricky one. Stuff yeah, like that. And it's like, it's that's going to be the case. have a station at nine in the morning on a Saturday that's packed up with fans all going up to London, isn't it? Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing, like, it, yeah, it just feels like there's no pride in the fact that you're from Swindon. It's such a big place. And you're, you know, the, when I, I'm seeing these youngsters come in and they're wearing Barcelona shirts or Man United shirts. Yeah. Why? You should, Adam, you should be Adam, Adam to your previous I'm, point. Yeah. I'm the same as Hannah's. I've been going there for donkeys. Yeah, I started going with Macari really regularly when he came. And you just got on the roll and you steamrolled the teams. You went up one division. Next season, same again, steamrolling them up again. You know, two years, we was up there. Mm. And then due to shit management, shit chairman, financial irregularities, the FA screwing us over. Daddy, daddy, da. We're back where we started, aren't we? Well, you know, it's all, it's all we part of the charm, though, Nigel. Nigel, it's all part of the charm. Go, go, Ellis, go on, mate. You were going to jump <laughs> in. Yeah, I, I was just going to sort of jump back to Adam's previous point about being a feeder club. Um, it's it's sort of a tricky one because essentially every every club in the football tier is a feeder club apart from apart from the number one spot, apart from Man City. You know, a club offers £100 million for Haaland, they say no, you, you can't argue for it. But every every club below is a feeder club. Um, at, at, at the end of the day, if someone slaps a £2 million price on Johnny Williams, you're not going to say no, are you? But it's, it's, it's finding, finding the balance because you can't, exactly. you can't tear up... Um, Angus McDonald's contract um, in January and not have a replacement for him when when you when you knew that you needed um, a new centre back in December, uh, but it, it, like I said, it's finding the balance because you, you might have a you a, a club for example Hibs coming in for Johnny Williams if they want two million for for Johnny Williams as sad as it would be, be to see him go. You're going to take it, um, but yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't be tearing up the contract for Angus McDonald. Yeah, feed, feed feeder, feeder, yeah, isn't it? Two million is about twenty grand, and that's what we normally take, isn't it? We don't. Yeah, the feeder, feeder club may have been, you know, the wrong turn to sort of make, but you know, these 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 teams that do make it and they do go up once or twice at the minute. You know, I look at you look at teams in League One like when we last went to Wembley for playoffs against Preston, right? They haven't dipped out the Championship since. Because they're up there now and they know that they can follow this model of keeping themselves funded and, you know, they might have that one season where they get the recruitment correct and they push. 
you know, that's never out of the window. Look at Luton when they got to the playoffs for the Premiership. Within the space of four years, they went from what we are now to pushing for Premier League. It's possible and it can be done. It's just like like Ellis said, and I'll agree with Ellis, uh, there's a way around doing it and you need to get it correct. And that sometimes doesn't happen often enough. And for Swindon especially, it just doesn't happen. What other club would get to the playoff semi-final and however months it is later, whenever we played May, whenever we played Port Vale, there's one player left, Ellis. Mm. What other club would do that? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, we're, uh, unbelievable. I, th- I think what's really interesting, some of the other clubs that you've mentioned, they've, you know, they've got, you know, they've, got, they've obviously got, they've got wealthy backers. They've got, they've got people that have been behind the club for a significantly longer period of time than Clem. And I think... Clem's probably going to be the first individual to, to sort of come out and hold his hands up and say, look, you know, mistakes have been made. Um, but I think it would be it would be remiss of us to just assume that our Australian benefactor, investor, owner, call him what you will, is the guy that's going to come from the other side of the world and just know how British football works, like inside and out. I think the, the the question the question's clearly got to be asked of the people that are that are you know supporting him and you know the the, the people that are you know ultimately running the business for him. Um, you you know, know, it's still it's still early on in Clem's tenure at the club, and I will admit that. You know, he's been a he's been a stakeholder for a lot longer than he's been the owner. He's been around the club for quite a while, obviously with the shirt sponsor for Axis. And you know he's bringing in the money as well. With all these, every other day it seems like Swindon are announcing a new sponsorship deal or a new partner and stuff like that. And it's good for the club. And look to use to use a uh, you know the patron Saint Lee Powers quote: "Judge him after five years, not five minutes." And I feel like with Clem, it will improve over time. You know he's already showing signs of a good owner now. It's just I'm hoping it's just a bit of titivating at the minute and trial and error. You know, he's, he's going to come to the end of the season. Personally, this season, I would call a write-off uh, already because I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like what we've got in a minute is going to challenge anyone in that top seven. Uh, personally, you know, at this point in time, we might get to, if we don't get anything out of this season, it's going to be a case of all right, well, that didn't work. What can we try next? And you know, Rob's not a stupid man. Clem's not a stupid man. You know, changes will Adam, be made. What I will say, what I will say, Adam, is this: like you, we were obviously comparing the last two owners. I think we've, you know, our our previous owner, his big focus was on making the club sort of sustainable, wash its own face. Um, the big difference between him and the current owner, of course, is the current owner's come in and he's cleared best part of seven million pounds worth of debt, um, and he's worked um, in tandem with the trust and. Um, you know, the Nigel Eady um, estate um, to such an extent. I appreciate that was a conversation that Lee Power has started, but we've got it to a stage with Clem where we're a couple of weeks away from actually owning our stadium. So if we're talking about a guy that's going to sort of put his money where his mouth is, um, you know, and that's a, you know, clear, clearing the club or, or making the club sustainable. I don't, I don't think you can have, you know, a, a better owner than someone that's willing to put his hand in his pocket to the extent of 7 million quid. Um, I've got. We've had a couple more um, tweets, which is always nice to see some new faces engaging with the show. So Mike Davis has tweeted, "Good evening to you, Mike." And Mike said, "If debts are not far off being cleared, and Clem isn't taking money out of the club, then why are we looking to make big sums of money from selling youngsters when our attendance is a lot higher than that of a lot of teams in this league? 
with higher revenue. I, I think, to be honest, Mike, it, it probably goes back to, I mean, Clem saying that he doesn't want to take money out of the club. I mean, look, at the end of the day, we, we are probably overdue getting the owner back on this show um, to be able to answer these kind of questions directly. But to try and kind of summarise some of the things that he said previously on this show, I think he he wants to um, make money from from player sales with a view to reinvesting in this club and then progressing this club and building this club and moving it forward as opposed to building this club and moving it forward by purely putting his hand into his pocket. So I think I kind of understand what it, what it is he's trying to achieve. Clem, Clem's uh, very first conversation I think I had with Clem personally was he said to me, he's like about Premier League thinking. He said, whether we can get the Premier League is neither here nor there. But if we all think that we can get to the Premier League, we've got more chance of getting there than we haven't. So the interesting thing for me was, um, you know, it's, you know, he's, 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 it's about kind of like shifting the mindset, growing the club, making it bigger without being purely dependent on him. And obviously at the moment, that's a very, very timely debate to be having. Um, Joe, Joe's tweeted, hello, Joe Ross Williams. Always lovely to hear from you, mate. Um, he says, evening chaps, simple input is the club can't have it both ways. We can develop players and we can bring them with us. If we just want to showcase players, tickets should be priced accordingly. I worry that five-figure attendances are taken for granted. A rare thing in League Two. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting there off the back of Joe, and I'll put this back to the panel. Do you? I wonder whether you guys think that the um, five-figure attendances are taken for granted. And I say that off the back of being thoroughly underwhelmed at the attendance for Jody Morris's first home game um, at the weekend. I was very surprised that the attendance dropped under 10,000. How did you feel? Well, uh, they, they will keep slipping. Um, the attendances will keep dropping down if, if, we're, not get, if we're not getting results. It, it's simple as that. It's, it's a, it, the game is, is run off results. Um, and... Yeah, it's. I, we probably do take it for granted. We, we've you know, one of the highest attendances in the league, um, and probably on average up there with League One attendances as well. Um, and like I said, it, it it's just backed by the perform the performances. Um, my mind goes back to last season. You know, those last five games when. We had to win five games in a row to to get in the playoffs. Uh, the county ground was county absolutely ground. rocking, um, and that's that's what it needs to be like. The county ground needs to be a fortress. It needs to be a, a stadium where other teams don't want to come and play. Um, but certainly, recently, uh, I felt just the whole the whole vibe has been. Quite different. I don't, I don't know how you felt. Considering how much the tickets cost, the numbers that we do bring in through that game are still insane for this level. You know, I, I sat there and I moaned about the price of tickets. You know, I went to watch Southampton play Newcastle in the semi-final the other week. It cost me three quid more than to watch us play a home game against, like Grimsby. Um, you know, for the for the price that you're paying. You're expecting results, and I think you know fair play pat on the back to all the guys that turn up on those days. Because you know, whenever I'm in Swindon, I make sure my Saturday is booked for that specifically. And you know, 
pat on the back to the club. You know, we, they can charge those tickets and people are still turning up. So the fan base that we do have is loyal. I just feel like you could get a lot more through the door and probably turn a better profit, especially if those ticket prices come down a little bit. Would you, would you, would you like a Bradford fan's input, guys? I'll give you a Bradford fan's input. So they just said, we love hearing Swindon fans having a dig about Bradford's prices like they're cheap. They work out at £8.70 a game. I challenge any Swindon fan to tell me your games are worth more than £8.70 this season because there isn't a club at this level that is offering football worthy of £400 a season with tongue firmly in cheek. But nonetheless, it's a very, very good good point. The Doncaster game, I had an under-21s ticket because I'm 21, so I still try to sort of, you know, go by that bit. And I sat there after 80 minutes and I thought, 12 quid, I've been robbed. If I bought an adult ticket... I would feel doubly robbed. You know, it was, wow. You know, sometimes even a tent, like I look at it and I think, fair play to the bloke who spent three quid buying his kid an under 11 ticket after watching some of the performances we've had this season, from my personal opinion, not to stoop too low with that one. But yeah, 100%, £21, 23 quid in a side stand or £24, whatever it is, for an adult in the Arkles or the Don Rogers. If you don't have a season ticket, and you, because you know you, you haven't got the commitment. That is a lot of money to be paying for a League Two game of football. As I said mm. before, you know, under the age of twenty-five, you can get a ticket for that price for certain Premier League games. And it's you sit there, and I think the quality of football you could be watching. And I think that's why a lot of people would rather watch the Premier League because there are some teams out there. It doesn't actually cost an insane amount to watch them. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to put another. I'll put another question to my my wonderful panel. All right, which is all about the coach selection. So, how do we feel about the the time it's taken for our our club to make the selection of its coaches this season? Obviously, we've had two very different selections made at the start of the season. Obviously, nobody expected Ben Garner to to leave. As I mean, you'll you'll remember, Ellis. We were live on air when it happened, and I think it it took pretty much everyone on the show by, by total surprise. That, that it, was it a mental even, show. Oh, mate, it wasn't even like I'd been muted, was it? And then it just came out <laughs> and the story broke. We were all gobsmacked. But then there was a, a period of several weeks thereafter where the managerial search was sort of trundling on. And there were many names mentioned. Andrew Crofts from Brighton, I think, was, was one of the kind of prominent names that got everybody really excited. And then obviously we ended up making an internal appointment with Scott Lindsay. And we all know where that went. And then... Clearly, a few months down the line, we've had another lengthy recruitment process for a new coach. Um, And the delays seem thoroughly justified in the end because we've appointed Jody Morris. But now we've got these kind of delays around putting his assistant, Ed Brand, into the job. And it's kind of doubly frustrating when you look just up the road in Gloucestershire and you've got Duncan Ferguson being appointed in what looks like a, a matter of hours and and you would be fair to say, I believe that Duncan Duncan Ferguson is a is a peer of Jody Morris. Both played Premier League football around the same kind of time. Both spent a lot of time at Premier League football clubs. Um, so, ha, ha, do we feel that the selection or the way we've gone about selecting our coaches this season, and then the results we've had off the back of it, do we feel that that's that's probably denting people's enthusiasm for for Swindon Town, or not enthusiasm, rather tolerance for Swindon Town? Um, and the and the ability for us to flip very quickly onto the negative this season. Yeah, um, go in, inexperience. Is it so? Start of the season, Scott Lindsay. It, if if you're going to bring him in, 
you 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 would have known a lot sooner than than when we did bring him in. Um, look, we all know how that went, but we we took a gamble on Scott Lindsay. It, it didn't pay off. Um, but bring him in, give him a transfer window. By the time we brought it brought him in, we didn't have much of a transfer window left. I think it was sort of a week before pre-season. Um, and the exact same thing has happened um, in January. You, we, we bring a manager in with three days left of the transfer window. Um, Morris has come out publicly and said he would have liked more time. Um, look, I, I, I don't know what happened in the in in the interview process. Um, I don't know when Morris was interviewed. Um, but could he have been brought in earlier? Probably. Um, and, you know, I've, I think we'd be in a, a much different situation if we had Morris on the 1st of January. Um, personally, I think a coach like Morris, um, with his background, um, he's going to have a lot of contacts. He's going to have a lot of players he, he, he will want to work with. Give him the reins a little bit. Let him pick some of the players that he wants. Um, well, look, so Ellis, back... Ellis, interestingly, Dave's just tweeted, right, rather provocatively. So Dave8114 um, has tweeted, do you think Morris was appointed so late as he could not have any involvement in transfers? A <laughs> little bit devious saying things like that. But interestingly, if, if, if you think about our current structure, how many times have we heard that supposedly the appointment of a head coach isn't kind of going to hamper the the signing of players because the whole idea is that the the you know the recruitment team bring the players in and then they're basically the head coach's job is to is to get a tune out of the players that have been bought in by recruitment. However, interestingly, Scott Lindsay was very keen to come out and stress that no player comes into the football club without his kind of say so that he's got the final word on on transfers. So if if he's got the final approval uh, final approval, sorry, on players coming into the football club, then surely there should be. <laughs> you you would hope that Jody Morris is having some kind of input on on how on on what players and uh, the kind of player that we're targeting maybe or and, and so we should. Issue, of course, going back to the original point, the issue is of course how long did it take to appoint Morris, and then we've basically wasted pretty much a whole window. So Morris. In, it's a bit exactly. Tricky, Sorry, Morris is gonna Morris is gonna come in with a set style of play. Look, Lindsay's come in and he knew how he wanted the team to play. Morris has come in and he's done the same. He knows what he wants, and you can't, as a manager, how are you supposed to get your style of play out of players that are going to be signed for you with no input from yourself? That George McEachern signing, I feel, was a Jody Morris signing. He's come from Chelsea. He knows that kid probably in and out. He's seen him on a daily. He knows what that kid's about and he knows, all right, that's the type of player I want in my team. Even though he's a youngster, that's the type of player that he wants. Jody is going to be a good manager. And, I've, you know, you could already see from even his first game, even with like Newport, even though we lost that game, the changes he was making and the timings he was doing it and the way that the shape would change based off of the players that he was bringing on. That just seems to be something that we missed when we had Lindsay. Now, whether this season goes fantastic uh, till the end of the season or it goes abysmally or it just, you know, teeters off, whatever happens this season, 
I think we don't we should not jump on the manager straight away. We need to give him that summer and let him kickstart next season with his input on how he wants the squad to be. And that's the only way that things are going to sort of like start going in that upward trajectory. He need, he will have the players that he wants and then he'll start pl- playing them how he wants and they will, they will then start gelling. I think we're too quick at the minute to jump on the manager's back when we know that the players are the consistent issue here. You know, there's a, there's a conduit of errors. And if, you know, if we're going to sit here and we're going to moan about the youth, we can't then start you know, asking for the manager's head at the first sign of issues. Oh, I'm not. I'm not happy with the free, free get, free, free games, free losses, zero points out of nine since Morris has come in. Okay, that's not great. But like, like Ellis was saying, and I agree with him 100. percent He hasn't had that time at the club to bring in the players that he wants, and you know, he sees them behind closed doors. We only see them on the match day. He sees them, you know, day in day out. He sees them in training. He knows what these guys are doing and how they're ticking. And he needs to find that balance himself and the players that he wants to join that to make it, you know, a solid unit. And I think that's only going to come with time and we need to give him time. Well, look, while, while, we're, while we're on recruitment, my, my dear panel, I thought we'll have a little bit of fun with this. So just literally all of you that have spoken tonight, I'm going to come round one at a time and I just want a one-word answer, a yes or a no. Year on year... Do you think we've got a stronger squad? I'll start with you, Louis. Yes or no? Do we have a stronger squad? What, than last year? Yep. No. Completely What about you, Max? at all. No way near. Ellis? No. No. What, what about you, Adam? No. But with no. development, they will be good players. But no, at this present moment in time, what we've got, no. And what about you, Nigel? Yes or no? Definitely no. Under-21 team, we got no way. So, well, look, is is an interesting... I did a little bit of analysis on this earlier, right? So, looking at our goalkeeping department, last last year we had four goalkeepers on the books, believe it or not, five, if you include Mildy. So, we had Jojo Woolacott, Lewis Ward, Manny Idem, Jack Copeland. Right, this season, we've got Solbrin, Connor Brand, Jack Copeland, and... Potentially, Mildy is a real fullback option. Um, there's a big debate. If we go our one-on-one, there's a big debate as to whether or not we think Sol Brin is a better goalkeeper than Jojo Woolacott and vice versa. I would say if you put Sol Brin in that Swindon Town side last season, I would have been very happy, even if that was at the expense of Jojo Woolacott. But then it starts getting really interesting when you move into defence, right? So if you look at the, the right side of our defence, Last season, we had Manny Egbo. This year, we've got Romeo Hutton. You could argue much of a muchness there. Last season, we had Joe Tomlinson on loan. This season's Joe Tomlinson. We're yet to kind of understand whether or not we've got some of the quality of Joe pre pre his injury last year. Here's an interesting combination for you. Dion Conroy of last season versus Angus McDonald of this season. Who, I, I don't know. I'm just going to ask one of you to pitch in. Let's have you, Max, because you haven't, we haven't had you on much tonight. How do you feel? Like, if we compared the skipper of last year, Dion Conroy, to the skipper of, of this year, all appreciate he's just left, do you think we got a better deal out of Dion versus Angus? Um, I think in terms of, I think, Dion genuinely cared about playing for the club. Um, I didn't always get that impression from Angus McDonald. Um like forget their qualities of player. I think I think Dion the fact he, they, that he was a 
consistent from previous years at the club, knew the club and the fans inside out. And he did, and for once he had like a pretty injury-free season. He genuinely seemed to care. I think he had his best season for us last year. And um, I think he really took on the captain's armband well. Um, for Angus, I'm not sure as much. If, if, especially for its leads, having that um, his contract got tore up. So he must have done something behind the scenes, which isn't exactly captainly, if that's the right word. Those those last yeah. five games of the season last season, you know he he was huge, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he, was, he was massive, a massive player for us. Um, you know, at, at times in the season he was a little bit shaky, but those last five games of the season, when we needed him most, he he pulled it out the draw. So we and think- the fact that and, and and I think he's he stood up to take one of the penalties as well, didn't he, in the shootout and put that away. So mm-hmm. like. Credit for a tenth about this willing to go and do that. Well, we we were a little bit. This is a little bit of an unfair comparison. Brandon Cooper last season, obviously, it was a real shame that we lost him to injury after the Bradford game. But Brandon Cooper, I've compared com, compared him with Fraser Blake Tracy. A um, little bit unfair. One was one was a loan. Well, they were both loan signings initially, weren't they? Fraser's now a permanent signing. Who knows what might have happened with Brandon Cooper if he had kept himself fit? But. Uh, do you think we're winning or losing this season with Fraser Blake Tracy in the squad? I think um, he's been the one real bright spark, really, of the a lot of the signings that have been brought in. I think that he puts his head in anywhere, shows a lot of commitment. He's one of our only defenders who is willing to fight for a ball in the air. Um, I think if it wasn't for him, things would be a lot worse than they are now. So how about this then, as a comparison? Jake O'Brien to Kieran Brennan. Are we winning or losing versus last year? Uh, Jake O'Brien. <sighs> losing. <laughs> I, think, I, think it's, I think it's hard with him because O'Brien never really started. He was the one... I think O'Brien is the perfect defender that you bring on for that last 10 minutes because he'll win all those balls that are being pumped in, like especially in League 2. He's the perfect guy to bring on in that last 10 minutes. Mm. I'm not sure football was expected of Brennan but I think judging by what we had at the start I think that Brennan was probably expected to start in the back three and then we switched to a back two so I think ideally they probably would have went with McDonald and um, Frenchie over him potentially I think he's for for me he's played more more football than I expected him to and sometimes he does okay sometimes he does all right he's he's like a solid he's like a six out of ten player really nothing special I think that a Jake O'Brien player would be more important to the squad, not necessarily starting eleven like Brennan could be. I, I think I was, you know, I've, obviously we had Ellis last year. We've got Ellis again this year. Ellis Iandolo. I think one of the problems that Ellis has got is that his season's been blighted by the fact he didn't get a pre-season under his belt, and that he feels like he's forever been chasing his tail. And I think the other thing about Ellis this season as well is that he's been a victim of his own versatility again. In that it's all too easy to put Ellis in at left wing, left wing back. Even though if you ask most winning yeah. town fans, would you play Ellis at left wing back? The answer, might, by and large, would be no. Um, but do we feel that we're winning this season with Ellis or losing versus last season? It kind of feels Unpopular to me that... Unpopular opinion yep. with Ellis, right? As much as I love the bloke and we talk about his loyalty to the club, my always my thought with Ellis is he's been here for, what, seven years now? And yeah, go years now. It's always been the fact... He's either got injured, which has always hampered his season, but even when he is fully fit, he's never been a standout player for me. He's always just been there. And this season especially, he's really, really, really had some issues on the pitch. 
And everyone talks yeah. about his loyalty, and I think the only reason that he hasn't actually gone anywhere is he's never warranted a move. In my personal mm. opinion, I, I struggle, especially this season, to find many positives with Ellis. You know, he's a, he's a hard worker and he loves the club and he's got, you know, he's got a lot of passion for the club. I'll give him that. But football inside of things, I, I don't see as much as I'd, I'd like to or what I even see out of some of the other players. It's one of them. I, I'll defend Ellis to the moon. But this season, I think that um, he's, I think last season he was passable at left, at left wing back or left back wherever he played-ish. I think this season he, he has played terribly there and I think you can tell that his his confidence is rock bottom at the minute. And I, I agree in that he's not, he shouldn't really be a starting player for us. He's the ideal squad player to have, but he started what, he started quite a few games in a row now at left back and it's massively exposed him because he's, he's never been good positionally as a left back, um, especially defending. And I think it's really hurt. I think that's probably what's hurt his confidence. And even if you do switch him back into midfield going forward, um, he does look a bit of a shadow of the play he was last season. But why do you I think, think there's a... there, though? What, why is he don't... there then? We... So we were saying this today. Where's Reese Devine? Because he's not even had a bench appearance. He... I know he had an injury in pre-season, but has, he... has there been any communication from the club? Is he still injured or is he just on the fringes or is he in a bomb squad? What? Like... That seems to have all gone quiet, but surely Jody coming in, if if he's not injured, he would have at least given him a place in the squad. So something's going on with the vine. Um, well, Max, I'm saying this for nothing. I mean, myself and Joe did the commentary for the Woking game pre-season, and we are both of the opinion that Reese Devine, you know, get get him in and around the match day squad. He's going to be like a new signing. So yeah, like you, I'd love to know what's really going on. Um, with with Reese Devine, the extent of his, or sorry, the, the the duration of his absence now moving forward, because I mean, he he described himself to me as an engine, um, like up and down the flank, like nonstop, plenty of pace, plenty of endeavour, um, and that's that for me is what we've been missing. But um, but look, I mean, okay, so I think it's it's fair to say on Ellis that we feel that whilst that's not a recruitment issue this year, um, in terms of what we've got from the player, it's probably been. It's it's been a no. It's not an improvement for us this year. Here's one for you. So Kane Kessler Hayden versus Marcel Lavinier. Wow, uh, but Kane Kessler Hayden for sure. Yeah. I mean he's he's not playing. Where is he at now? Um, is he still at Huddersfield? No, I believe he's gone back to the Villa. He's gone, gone back, hasn't he? Well, yeah. they there you go. He was playing Championship anyway. Um, Lavinia is a is a top top player, and I think he will go on to play in higher leagues. Um, but yeah, I think from the performances in this side, you know, he, even when he got recalled last season after the the City game, we really saw it in our results and how we were playing that it affected us. Mm. All right, so he's um, going to be a top top player, though, isn't he? Like yeah. he's going to be if he's gone League Two, League One Championship in the space of twelve months. I think we just had an exceptional player there. I think um, Lavinia potentially has that potentially has that sort of springboard in him, but it just I think he's been hampered a bit by injuries this season, sadly. On the topic of Kane, can we sort of like make a push to liquidate MK Dons because the amount of players that got recalled from us and ended up doing another loan move at MK, you know, like Barry and Kane. It's an absolute pain in the backside how you know teams like that are managing to snipe these players off us. I know they're in League One, 
But come on, there's got to be more. There's got to be more drive to want to play for Swindon than a team like Nottingham. It's, it's, it's another reason why we've got to get up further up the leagues, mate. At the end of the day, you know, then we haven't got the problem of you know good quality players being pulled halfway through the season to then get a season in the next division up because they've kind of proved themselves at League Two level. But look, I think. Um, so I think we're all in agreement, really. Kane Kessler Hayden would be seen as an upgrade on on Mars. A little bit unfortunate for Marcel because obviously he's come into the side, did did really well, but then picked up an injury not long after after coming into the side, um, and then he's broken back into the team. But he's been playing on the left hand side. Kane Kessler Hayden managed to get himself into the side, get himself settled, and became a key player prior to being recalled. I've got um, I've included a bit like Ellis here. It's a little bit unfair, but we've got Harrison Minton. Obviously, um, Harrison made his league debut only a couple of weeks ago. Um, fair to say the Harrison of this season, therefore, versus the Harrison of last season, is proving to be a little bit more of a success story because he's got a league a league debut under his belt. But rather provocatively, the next player I've gone is Akin Odumeo versus Tom Clayton. Do we feel that we're better off with Clayton than Akin Odumeo? Um Maybe in the long run, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Um, I think AK last season had a, a good run of games. Um, he probably didn't start as many games as as he wanted to. I thought he was a really solid player. Um, obviously, Clayton's past couple games have been a little bit shaky, but that's because he's been off sort of three months. But there, there's been certain games where I've seen real class from Clayton and considering his age and this is his first season in the EFL um, I'm taking Clayton Clayton yeah, will be a top player and you know when he first when he first come in and the, every game he, he started a couple and I thought you know what this bloke looks absolutely solid like he was, you know, he was always first for the ball in defence. He just no nonsense. He would clear it, but it wouldn't just be skying it into the arcles. It would it would be clearances that sort of got us on the front foot. And then he started getting benched for no apparent reason. And I was sat there thinking, you know what? Like above the other centre backs, you know, when we talk about centre backs as well, I think we we keep overlooking the fact that um Kean Harry's is sat there you know stealing a wage off us personally um you know he, he he was even getting game time at the start of the season over Clayton and I was thinking why you know you've got a young lad who's hungry who's just come down from Liverpool on a two year deal wants to get going in the EFL and we're using a player that was a reservist at Bristol Rovers over him and I, it was really starting to grind my gears at the start of the season and I'm hoping now that he's come back from injury, Clayton can push on and actually start becoming quite a regular at the back uh, for what we've got anyway for the rest of this season. I, I think Clayton's got the potential to be absolutely huge for this football club. And I think Clayton, the big difference for me, Clayton versus Akinodimeo, is that Clayton appears to be um, a little bit more of a leader, a little bit more of an organiser, a little bit more like captain material. Whereas Akin, for me, never really gave the impression that he was like a, an organiser. Um, you know, he, I, I don't ever really ever recall Akin kind of balling out his teammates. But all right then, so if we're going to say that we, we think that we're winning this season in terms of recruitment, Clayton versus Akin Odimeo, last season we had Romney Critchlow and this season we've got Kieran, Kieran, uh, Kieran Harries. 
How do we feel? Do we feel that we're winning this season or we're losing? Shocking. Chris Lowe had a really bright start at Swindon Town. Scored on his debut, but then picked up an injury in bizarre circumstances. Never really got back in the side and found himself recalled. Keen Harry's is one of these players where he kind of fell foul of boo boys quite quickly at Swindon Town. But then we had a couple of, couple of well, one big performance from him where we were like, hang on a minute, he's come back a different player. And then he got himself seriously injured again. So we've really struggled to see the kind of upside of Kean Harry's, haven't we? Harry's, I, I, I strongly dislike. You know, I, if people disagree with me, you know, I apologise. But I remember he came into the club and he was a reservist at Bristol Rovers, you know, referring back to my previous point. And I was sat there thinking, you know, this is where we, we had Cardiff in the pre-season. I was thinking, you know, how can we have this sign-in come in and be a strong centre-back if he can't even make the squad at Bristol Rovers, like, at all? And I remember he came on, well, he, I think he started against Cardiff in the pre-season. I sat in a box with the missus. And he genuinely was running around at the back as if it was the first time he'd ever laced up his boots and stepped on a football pitch. I honestly mm. thought it was that bad. And then he, he came off injured. And I think there was even a couple cheers in a pre-season friendly in the crowd that he got injured. Because honestly, he was, you know, I'm not yeah, one to deflate a player, but he was so bad. Yeah. Yeah, like, he got, treated, got treated brutally. He got treated brutally in that Cardiff preseason game when he got himself cropped. I think, all right, fair dues. We'll we'll go with we we believe this year we're worse off um, by not having Romley Critchlow in the side. The the next one's pretty straightforward. It's you know proper servant to the club, Rob Hunt, and we mentioned him earlier, Reese Devine. Uh, Rob Hunt, obviously, ideally you want him on the right hand side, but more often than not, he ended up playing down the left. Reese Devine being a left back. We've not really seen anything of Reese Devine. It's not a competition, that, is it? It's Rob Hunt all day. We're not better off this season without Rob Hunt, are we? Yeah, Hunt was always a... You could pretty, you could pretty much depend on the entire 7 out of 10, whether he played left-back or right-back. I think that is the sort of play we really miss. We really miss a, a steady, steady full-back. Mm. Moot. All right, fair dues. Moving into midfield, obviously, we've got the Louis Reed of last season versus the Louis Reed of this season. Well, obviously, we know how that went. So it's a little bit of a non-debate, isn't it, really? We're not better off this season, um, given the situation that we have with Louis Reed. whether that's the way that we handled Louis Reed as a player, whether that's the way that we kept him motivated, whether that's whatever it is that would have kept him there. Um, we're not winning this season with Louis Reed. Here's an interesting one for you. We obviously lost Jack Payne um, at the start of the season, and it appears that we replaced him with Saidu Khan. Are we better off with Saidu Khan or Jack Payne? No, Jack Payne. Yeah, pain. I mean, we're missing. I mean, the goals, are, the goals alone. Before you look into how how they play as players, I think that I think the Khan is a solid midfielder at this level, but um, pain was on another level and like deserves to be playing in the league above. He's the biggest miss. He is the biggest miss for me. I think I think he's part. I think he's part. I think he's part of it. Um, just because he brought a bit of balance to that midfield last season, um, as well as the goals and. Obviously, what he could try contribute off the pitch, I think keeping the Curdy in check, you could tell he was one of the big voices in the dressing room too. Well, is all right again a little bit of a non-contest that in to a degree. With all due respect, I'm, I'm sure Saido won't mind us biting, but won't mind us saying that Jack Payne was that he had no place in League Two last season. I think by the end of the season, it really showed. But it is an interesting matchup for you again, recruitment wise. 
So Anthony Grant was in the squad last year, obviously started the season really well, but then fell out of favour, couldn't displace Louis Reed, and then soon found himself on the um, slow train to Scunthorpe. Uh, the only matchup I could really kind of put together at this point in time, Anthony Grant of last season versus Jake Kane this season. Are we better off with Anthony Grant last season or Jake Kane this season from a recruitment point of view? From friends of mine that are strong Liverpool fans, they've all said to me, you know, they've seen him play, um, you know, whether it be in pre-season or in the youngsters squad at Liverpool. And he is a solid, really, really, really good player. And he's only going to improve mm-hmm. at Swindon. And, you know, these players are going to sit there and think, you know, like, maybe I need to be more physical. These guys are going to make themselves... He's going to accustom himself to that league, but not to the extent where he gets lost in the lower divisions. Because I think there is going to be space for Kane to go back up, uh, probably to where he belongs. Because I think give him a bit of time, get, get him to jail and what we've got now, and he's going to be a really solid player. And we may struggle to keep hold of him by the end of the season, depending on how well he performs. I feel mm. first he he's one for the future again, but he's more of a he's more of a polished uh, project now than some of the other youngsters we've got. Um, and who is it you were comparing him with? Well, we had um, Anthony Grant. Now, this the whole point about this debate was about it's the balance conversation, isn't it? That we had earlier, Adam, like. Is, is Anthony is Anthony Grant? If we still had Anthony Grant, a fit Anthony Grant in and around the squad, are we are we are we still losing those two shipping those two goals late last night? You know, if, this isn't about, this isn't the conversation. Is not by the way, do we re-sign Anthony Grant now? Who just so happens to be a free free agent? I'm not saying that. It's about if we kept Anthony Grant last season, if we kept him playing, if we kept him fit, and if he was still because he'd still be able to turn out for us if we kept him on top of his match fitness. Are we winning or losing with our recruitment model this year by having Jake Kane versus a fully fit Anthony Grant? Are we? How it, are we? It, it depends on the goal, then, doesn't it? You know, if our goal this season really is promotion, we've lost because we've lost that experience and that solid player. If the goal is buying and selling for a profit, then yeah, Kane because he is going to give us a profit. Whereas Grant wasn't because he was aging. The older he gets, the less he's going to be worth, the less time he's got in football. If the goal is promotion, then yes, uh, we've made a loss on losing. But the goal is promotion. Surely, Max, the goal is promotion, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Do we know? Um, I I have... Every week it changes. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, I I have different thoughts on this because... Yeah, I mean, I mean, Grant last season, I think at the start, he was big for um, all of the new players. And I think he probably is a, was a good influence in the dressing room. But I think the longer it went on, he became more and more ineffective off the pitch. And it wasn't much better at Scunthorpe. I think Kane, there's more of an asset there. There's a bit more maybe hunger there, potentially. You know, his first outing in, in pro football. Um, he looks handy in the home game. Who was it? Um not Donny, the one, the one before Donny, um, and not to mention a threat from set pieces. So I think that I think that uh, Kane's an exciting one for me personally. Listen, he's Liverpool. Liverpool's under twenty-one captain, wasn't he, before he joined us? So that's what I mean. I so there's, yeah. So there's that. De- we definitely got. We definitely got a player there. It's just um, need to have the right midfielders around him, and I think he could develop and do well for us. All right. Well. Okay, well, we'll let's just say year on year we're winning them with J.K. How about this? So this is a tricky one. So obviously we just picked up George McEachern, and I'm comparing him with last season's midfielder of Jordan Lydon. Tough one. 
for all all the reasons we're about to debate. Obviously, injuries being a massive problem for Jordan Lydon last season. Did he really contribute a huge amount? At times, he looked like he was getting back to the Lydon of old before his Achilles went. Um, and but George McEachern is very much like Jake Kane, isn't it? You can, it's not again. This isn't a like for like. Like, are they the same kind of player? This is about a recruitment model that we're talking about now, whether or not we're winning or losing with our recruitment model. So how do we feel about Jordan Lyon in the midfield last year? Obviously, we've lost him this season. George McEachern, do we feel that like we're winning or losing? McEachern is the winner for me on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to say the same, yeah. just, for, just for the fact that Lyon can't stay fit and McEachern seems like an exciting prospect. You know, Lyon was, was exciting at the time, you know. The amount of pictures that came up of him being in the starting lineups of West Ham. I think when they were down in the championship, he was starting for him. He had that experience, but it just seemed like for whatever reason he didn't carry it to the Swindon team. He, was, and he never really yeah. got going. And he was quality last season in the lead up. I think it was lead up to the Man City game, and it was a it was the Tuesday night when we got injured. I forget who we were playing, but it's just done. But it seems to just happen every season with him. He'd, he'd have a really good spell, and then it'd just be. Another injury, and it wouldn't be a niggle, it would be something that puts him out for a minimum six months. Yeah. I just don't think the word for that there then is consistency, which Swindon have been lacking for many, 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 many years. Yeah, exactly, mm. mate. 100% agree. All right, then. So we're going to say that we're winning with George McEachern and we're patting the recruitment boys on the back. Um, Ryan East of last season versus Ronan Darcy of this season. Are we winning or are we losing? Winning. Easy. Um... I don't really know what he did. A lot he made he was really good off the bench, but didn't really have a lot of impact for much. But Darcy has had more minutes, let's say. He's had he's had more moments than East had, really. To make it a tougher comparison, I would compare Darcy with uh, Lloyd Isgrove. Now that'd be a tougher that'd be a tougher um oh, that comparison. We'd be here all year. We'd be here. <laughs> <laughs> They're both, right. they think... both very similar players. <laughs> I think my thing with Ryan East is I can't tell you what kind of midfielder Ryan East was because I just didn't see him enough. Whereas I think you can, I think Darcy's a good runner with the ball and he'll take a lot of shots on goal. Whereas East was, I don't know whether he was just a steady standard centre midfielder that you'd have in or whatever. But I don't know. I don't know how much Bradford fans are enjoying him now. But I think that he was a non-entity last season, really. All right, so we're going to say that we're we all right recruitment wise, we're pretty much winning with Ronan Darcy. Um, obviously, we had Ben Gladwin last season versus Ben Gladwin this. I think the form that we saw, particularly in the early part of the season for Ben Gladwin, shows that the Ben Gladwin model that we had this year, and the fact that supposedly we've moved him on for a bit of cash, whereas we signed him on a free, um, that would suggest that we are winning. Would you not agree this year? Yeah, got pennies definitely. for Gladwin. Yeah, I know it won't. I think I think him is the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes we've made all season. To be honest, just for you listen to the way he was speaking in the press afterwards, you you can only imagine what he was like in the dressing room. And alluding to that Austin quote from yesterday about, I think Gladwin was some experience to lean on, and now that's gone. You know, Gladwin Gladwin didn't want to go. I don't think personally, and you know, I you know, I I. Obviously, you know, Hannah's, I stand sort of like down the bottom uh, of the same sort of section in the town and that you stand. And the guys around me, um, you know, some guys are saying that we only got 10 grand for him. Someone said we only got 40 grand for Gladwin. You know, and you talk about like the thing with like McDonald's and how unhappy he was with his, or like the contract and things like that. 
I think that apparently that was it, you know, speculation, but that was even causing dramas with the likes of Charlie. And he was really unhappy and he was going in and, you know, putting his 10 pence in into the recruitment model. Um, Gladwin, we missed out there, you know, from what he used to be and from what he's the performances he even put in this year and last year, he's still reliable when you needed him. It was very rare that he had those off moments. And I think the price tag that we actually got for him was a bit of an insult to the player himself. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Adam. For me, Ben Gladwin this season feels like Danny Rose. You mentioned Lloyd Isgrove. Ben Gladwin feels like Danny Rose in that Richie Welland squad. You know, whether he's playing every week or not is by the by. You know when he plays, he's going to give you something. Um, but it's what he gives you around the squad, like off the pitch, um, which I think is really, really important. Um, but nonetheless, I think if you look at it's not necessarily a recruitment situation, but the fact that we had an improvement on Ben Gladwin versus last year, I think is more testament to the coaching situation um, and the way that the medical guys got him fit and ready for the start of the new season. The next selections along similar lines, really, obviously we've got Ricky Aguiar last season versus Ricky Aguiar of this. Um, it's, it's fair to say, I would suggest that, um, we're probably losing out on Ricky, aren't we, this season, given that he was, you know, um, one of the real bright bright spots, one of the really exciting young players to break through last year. Ben, oh, we, haven't we, haven't we? we haven't seen him this season. When have we seen him? In the stupid little man- manky cups at the beginning. He hasn't. Has he played the league games? Has he played in any league games? He might uh, come on for a couple of subs. Yeah, I think he's... Yeah, I think he's been involved as a sub, Nigel, more than anything, but... Yeah, I think he's been very... gone right out of favour, doesn't he? You're not getting any development playing football like that. You know, no, being, being so he's he started one game and he's um, and the, I think the one game he started, other than the cups, would have been the Walsall Cup game. So, oh yeah, so yeah, he's just come on as a sub in league game seven times. He's just wasting his time here now, I and mean, he's not getting anywhere, is he? Mm. Well, another. He'll be off, I reckon. Well, it, the fact he was recalled from his loan suggests that Morris might have might have some plan for him because otherwise, he, I think he would have been better off leaving him out on loan for him to get some game time. But mm. I guess that's what to be seen. Mm. All right, well, just t- look at everyone, see what they're like, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Well, so okay, along similar lines, we've got Johnny Williams of last season versus Johnny Williams of this. Well, I mean, for me, obviously, the facts are the guy was playing well enough that he's got himself to a World Cup and he's currently our top scorer. So. I think John, Johnny Williams has, um, for me, given us more this season than we had out of him last season. Again, it's not necessarily a recruitment sort of situation. It's more a question of, you know, is the squad healthier um, with Johnny in it this season versus last? And the answer to that question has got to be a yes, hasn't it? I yeah, personally I think. think that we got more out of Johnny last season. Interesting. I know, I know you say he's, he's top goal scorer. That's because we haven't got a Harry McCurdy in the squad at the minute that's banged in that many goals at this point. You know, Johnny. I think Gabs. I think Gabs was saying it. He scored his goals. I'm happy with that. I know he went to the World Cup. Annoyingly, he didn't play. You know, he basically just went there to warm the bench. And you know, in in that Wales squad, probably knowing that they were on their way out, should have probably given him a go anyway. I think personally, in the way, I think Johnny. We got more out of Johnny last year because of the players he had around him as well. Johnny was putting balls in areas, and he knew that those players were going to be on the end of them. Oh, him and McCurdy last season linked up so well. Him and McCurdy is the perfect example of that from last season. Um, I think Gavs was mentioning it to us, I don't know if it was last week, but um, there's definitely been a little bit of a drop-off from Johnny since he's come back from the World Cup, but 
Um, I'd like to think that he's got enough about him to turn it around this season. If him um, and Traz, if him and Traz are linked up, that could be absolutely yeah. dangerous in this league. That could be 100%. disgusting. Um, it's just it needs to happen sooner rather than later. We uh, okay. Next player. So it, I'm, I'm more than happy to go with that. If you think that we've had a drop off from Johnny this season versus last, we've got we've got an extra couple of heads in the midfield that we didn't necessarily have last year. Only from a point of view that. He's been a bit closer to the first team, so I won't spend too much time talking about them. But Anton Dworzak and Dylan Kadji, obviously Dylan's only just joined the side, so it's kind of hard to make any kind of comparisons. But one player that we can do a little bit of year on year, I've, I personally have been a little bit disappointed with um, the progress Mo Darbre's made um, year on year. I was hoping that... He's shown so Darbre much potential. Darbre. Oh, and I look at him, every time he comes on, he makes such a difference and he's such a fast little fucker. And it's like, <laughs> he really just gets in your... He's so quick. The pre- it, you know, he's like Wakelin plus 10 pace. Do you know what I mean? The bloke is a... He's just a workhorse and he runs and runs and runs. And, he, you know, if you are a big opposing player and you've got this little whippet sprinting at you for the 20 minutes he's on the pitch... He's making you think on your feet and, you know, he's forcing errors. And I would love to see him get a few more minutes. But we keep banging these sorts of players out on little one-month loans and things like that, which I think, personally, mm-hmm. are pointless. He, because he, by, he the time, on... by the time they jowl with that team, they're on the, they're, on the, they're on the train back to Swindon. So it's like, what was, what was the point to begin with? He, he went on loan to uh, Worthen, I think it was. He came on, he scored two and two minutes on his debut, I think. Um, which just shows how good he is at that level. I think he should have gone to a National League club, really. But if you're going to loan a player out like that, if Dar- to get the most out of Darbury, he needs to do it a minimum six-month loan. To an- yeah, I th- I th- he's going to do what Twine did. He needs to go he's do what Twine did and have half a season out somewhere. Yeah, he's gone back like, to work. Look, look at Parsons the at the, the minute, season. or Morgan. We've, we send them out for, what, a month at a time? What is the point? Personally, because by the time you've got used to who you're playing around, you've played five, six games with them if they play on Saturdays and Tuesdays, and then they're back to Swindon and then they've got to readjust. Yeah, and they're never going to get anywhere. If, if you're not going to take the cup competition seriously, then those boys are going to have their first team opportunities limited, aren't they? That's And, they, and they've got to go somewhere. Give them a loan, so, give them a proper loan, yeah. not a punchy little. I, I agree, I agree. But we 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 quite happy year on year. We are we all fairly disappointed that Darbray's sort of opportunities this year, his his benefit to the squad has, has been a step back as opposed to a step forward. It's been more the opportunities he's been given as opposed to his performances. Yeah, yeah, his performances are decent, but it's always in the Papa John's Trophy. Never any really important matches. Really, that's the problem for him. If oh, we get late, late. If we get later in the season and we basically can't go in the playoffs and we're fiddling around the mid-table somewhere, I wonder if they actually want to play some of these kids and give them an actual game or two. Yeah, give them an actual, give them a big opportunity. You know, well, you them in there. we've level, got a bunch of dead you know, Ready for next season, maybe, you know. Mm. Well, look, things really start spicing up now when we move into the forward. So we just did the tail end of the midfield. Jaden Mitchell Lawson last season, Morgan Roberts this season. How do we feel? How's recruitment? How do we feel that recruitment is year on year? Same, same, isn't it? It's much of a muchness, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's not the same for the amount of minutes they both got. And I, I think Mitchell Lawson was a, a little bit disappointing for me last season. I think I was expecting more out of him. 
I'm not fully sure what I was expecting out of Morgan Rebosh just because the level he was coming from. I, I was expecting him to get a long loan out. So it's, I, f- I think it's still to be seen. Yeah, it's sort of a like for like, pretty much. Yeah. All right. Then, Albeit listen. Morgan Roberts is a bit younger. Is 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 the next one? Um, on current form, I know I know what the answer is going to go with this. But you got Harry McCurdy or Jake Wakelin. <laughs> I miss that man so much. Wakelin started very promising when he first started. When he got off the when he got off the mark and started banging in the goals, I thought, you know what? We've got rid of McCurdy and we've replaced him with McCurdy 2.0. And I thought he was really going to shine. You know, a lot of people are finding it very easy to jump on Jake's back at the minute. Uh, and I'm seeing it quite a lot. And I'm hearing the shouts in the town end. And I'm thinking, you know what? He's had a bit of a dip. But the bloke still runs his arse off. Every he time. Tries, He's a trier. Burnt out, that's the problem. He is burnt out. He needed a little break. He needs a little break. One, two games. But what, what we need to do as well is the last few games I've seen it, when we had Charlie Austin, Wakelin and Jeffcott all on the pitch at the same time, I don't think that works personally. I think you need to have Charlie linking up with one of those two as a front two. And I yeah. think that's when they're really going to start shining. Because if, or even if, the Grimsby if home Charlie game, ain't got it was... the angle, Wakelin will get on the end of it and vice versa. Yeah, even the Grimsby home game where it was him and it was him, Charlie, and it was um, Hepburn Murphy as a front three. I quite liked that. Because yeah, but Hepburn's so just, got the pace uh, over Jeffcott, I think. Just, just to put yeah, oh yeah, to, to put Louis's point about burnout into perspective. So Wakelin's what twenty twenty nine odd, so probably pushing thirty odd appearances already this season. Last season, like I said, he was on loan at Barrow, and I think he managed four. Um, he's and he's playing up against absolute brute League Two defenders. What I would say is that whilst um, there were a couple of opportunities last night, you would have hoped that he would have buried at least one of them. Look at the way that he engineered both of those chances last season, and ask yourself who else in the Swindon Town squad. And indeed, I would go back the last season. What strikers have we got in the squad last year? Maybe with the exception of Tyree Simpson, could have done something similar. Like the way that, particularly the first chance, the way that he muscled in between the ball and the centre-half and then tore away from the centre-half to create the chance. And obviously it was on his left peg. but um, And the keepers managed to make a smart save. But, I mean, for me, I, I don't think... I think when, when, when the ball's not hit in the back of the net, what you're looking for from your players is blood, sweat and tears. And I think even if the guy is blown out of his backside, I don't think anyone's putting the shift in quite like Jake at the moment. I mean, he's working hard for us, isn't he? 100%. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think he just, I think he just needs a little bit. I think once he gets a little bit more composed in front of goal, I think he will start getting the goals again. Because, like you say, he's constantly getting himself in into the right positions. He was doing it Grimsby at home. He did it. I, he had one really good chance last night. Um, just, I think, I think if he gets a goal, maybe we'll see a bit more from him just to get the get the monkey off his back. So I'm looking at his uh, status now, and he hasn't scored since the Tranmere game back in November. And even before that, he had a drought of about a month. It was done. It was Doncaster away he last scored. So I think he just. I think he just needs a goal. He needs one to go in off his ass or something. Mm. So we think year on year. Then um, we think that we, we don't believe that we're winning at the moment. At the moment with Jake, we think that Harry's got the edge. Um, here's a yeah, tricky, yeah. Here's a tricky one for you. Then are we winning year on year in recruitment? Tyree Simpson versus Charlie Austin. We're winning with Charlie when we go back to our point of having experience and that debut game with Chaz. And I could just see it, the way he was peeling round and taking different runs, each attack. And he was even drawing 
you could see him signaling to Johnny to draw him in to you know just to make the defenders think a bit and to start you know dragging him away from certain runs so they can make that space. That's Premier League experience that is to do that sort of thing. Simpson again was still he was a he was a work in progress and unfortunately the poor kid has pretty much rotted away since he left us. And I know he's got that move to Huddersfield now and I hope things improve, but if we kept hold of him with McCurdy that whole season, I think we could have ended up a little bit higher than where we finished. Oh, we go up. We go up in the autos, mate. No mistake about it. Um, but, I mean, again, that's another conversation, isn't it? About if we were in a position maybe to have invested some money in Tyree Simpson, maybe we could have got him. Um, who who knows? Who knows? But Charlie versus Tyrese. And I think the other thing about Charlie, of course, is what Charlie gives you, which which Tyrese can't, which is leadership, which is the way he can galvanise the crowd. Um, you know, Charlie... <laughs> Charlie gives you so many upsides, but obviously he's he's been here a fraction of the amount of time at the moment that Tyrese has been here, if you consider it in his second spell in isolation. How about the next one? Josh Davison versus Luke Jeffcott. Again, year on year from a recruitment point of view, are we winning or are we losing? For me, I go with Davison. Losing that. Yeah, we are losing. We are actually losing. Previous stats in this, you know, at the start of the season, it was, oh yeah, we need a, we need a big we need a, a proven striker. Everyone was saying, oh yeah, Jeff Cott's a proven striker. And this was before the deal got announced. And I thought, okay. And yeah, as opposed to Davison, Jeff Cott looked better on paper. It just hasn't quite clicked. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Jeff Cott's got loads more senior appearances in the Football League than Josh Davison. I mean, Josh Davison, I think if he had been with us a full season, would have been a 20 goal a season plus striker, even though he had his detractors, that would have been a hell of a return. And I still think there's a chance that he's going to finish the season with that sort of goal haul for, for Wimbledon this year. So I'm, I'm inclined to agree as well. I think if you gave me the choice of the two of them based on, on what I've seen so far, um, I'm going to be going with, with Josh Davison. Um, it's all down to how they click. And it's quite frustrating because Davison's clicked and he's playing well in League One, but he wasn't that bright spark in League Two. I'll take you back a few seasons even more to Elijah Adepayo, who looked like Bambi on ice whenever he was up front for us in League Two. And then he goes and smashes it in the championship with Luton. Yeah, it's all about well. the players around you as well. Well, and, and, and another player, another player that's doing really well um, on, his new, on his latest loan spell, Harry Parsons, year on year. I mean, we've. I mean, it's, it's, we're clearly not benefiting from Harry at all this year, are we? Where there was a little bit of upside last season. He is improving, think... but once again, he needs to be given chances, proper yeah. chances, not just ten minutes at the end of a match. When you know, nine times out of ten, when he's come on, we've, we've basically won the match. Mm. And you know, the rest of the squad, you know, the re- the, the midfield takes his foot off the gas slightly. Because you know the game's almost basically finished, and he's not got the same sort of chances that he he would have been getting if he started. But it's difficult with strikers because at the end of the day, when you've got Charlie Austin and Wakelin on the pitch, and you've got Parsons on the bench alongside Jeffcott on the bench, for example, if you're going to bring on another striker, who are you picking out of those two? Would you be more inclined? You would pick Jeffcott, you know, and it's quite yeah. it's quite difficult because we have we've got quite a few options. Mm. All right. Well, this this one's a little bit more uh, a little bit more dynamic a choice. 
We've got um, Barry from last season. So we've got Louis Barry from last season versus Tyree Shade. Louis Barry. Louis Barry. Louis Barry. Louis Barry. Louis Barry. Louis Barry. Is, is another one where I've had I've had games this season where I've sat there and he's come on and I've gone, wow, is that the answer to our prayers? You know, sometimes he pops up and he has a good game and he can cause some trouble down the sides. I just feel like if he spent a bit more time in the middle of the pitch, he might start getting some goals. I, I actually think Tyrese has started to come good um, prior to picking up this little niggle. Um, I yeah. actually thought he was coming off the coming off the bench and he was really starting to influence games. And um, and I think he's yeah playing him down the centre, get seeing him seeing a little bit more of a ball, or whether it was just. The conversation, like against, um, I think it was against Gillingham, where they were going, like it was just they went on that incredibly mazy run where he just saw like tore down the wing and then cut across the centre of the park and just left everyone in his wake, um, and it led to us scoring. I just thought it was absolutely tremendous. I, I think there's a hell of a player in there. I think a lot of it is Tyrese just needs he needs a position, he needs a manager to put an arm around his shoulder and and just invest in him. And I don't think he's yeah. had that yet. Here's the thing now, though, with that signing of Charlie. It's going to be very difficult to like justify having someone else play in that central role at the minute, and I think the versatility is going to come down to the wide players that are going to play around Charlie. I think Charlie's pretty much for the majority of the rest of this season, unless anything happens to him, he's pretty much already cemented himself as that as that centre striker for us, in my well, opinion. All right, I think. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, Louis, Louis Barry's undoubted class. I, I yeah. still don't think. We saw the best of him, but we saw glimpses of genius from the kid. Um, and I think, yeah, and you know he's gonna, you know he's gonna score against us on Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know he will. <laughs> so, so I know. So I think we're saying that we're not winning um, with uh, not having Louis Barry in the squad again. Just to com- com- just to be clear, this is an exercise in looking at our recruitment, how our squad's made up, whether we think we've been winning or losing in recruitment. The, the final player that really that we've really done any kind of comparison with is Alex Gilbert, who flattered to deceive, and, and Tommy Adeloy, who's kind of flattered to deceive when he's had opportunities as well. What's, um, do we feel we're winning or we're losing with either of those two? This is, this is a slightly, this is a marginal selection, I think. God knows. Yeah. Otherwise got a goal, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. he has a goal. More than what Gilbert did. It's like comparing yeah. which fart smells worse, isn't it, really? Uh, oh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> no, slightly harsh. Um, but uh, he scored his first goal recently. But when he came in and everyone got excited, oh yeah, this is a striker that we brought in. Everyone, I think, was expecting a lot more from him than what we actually got. And I think the same with Gilbert. We was expecting quite a lot. You know, they both come in with higher expectations than what they've uh, outputted. And I think that's that's what's going to sway that opinion for me. I think for both of them, I'd, I'd almost put them on level peggings. I don't think either of them have. Can I can I butt in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think Adeloy's been given anywhere near the amount of minutes that he probably deserves. Um, well, when he first signed, we... he was playing quite a lot and he was starting games, but then he wasn't. He's really actually producing. he's actually only started he one game. He's he's, he's yeah, only he started, started one game. game. All the others are and, and, and every yeah. game he's been brought on, he's been brought on in like. The 80th minute. So he's played 172 minutes all season, which is you're not you're not going to make a difference in the last 10 minutes of the game. Like even when even when he scored, it's and Hannah's. We were we 
in our pre-match show on on Saturday, um, Adeloy's got a fifty percent goal conversion rate. Uh, is he's only had, had two shots? I think he's a he, he needs to be played. Um, obviously, you, you're not going to pick him in front of Charlie Austin. Um, pro, I I wouldn't pick him over Hepburn Murphy either. But I don't think he deserves the shit he's getting. No, I I would agree with you. I think, look, Gilbert was a disaster of a loan. I think it was a waste of a loan last season, the way that that worked out. I think we could we just couldn't find a position for him and it ended up being, you know, he was a square peg in a round hole more often than it's not. But look, that brings us to the end of, of that little segment or big segment. The reason why we went through it is we were taking a look at the squad. We were, we were looking at players that were kind of there or thereabouts in each other's positions and we were trying to make a decision as to whether or not we feel we're winning or losing on recruitment. The obvious... Um, suggestion there being that we are taking a real back of fag packet approach as to whether or not we feel recruitment has been good enough this season because recruitment themselves have been very good at Trump, playing their own trumpet and saying that they feel they've done a good job. Well, based on what we've got so far, based on that analysis and us just calling it yes or no, do we feel that we've had a better or a worse season based on the player we had last season versus this? We have said last season 18 of the players that we had last year uh, were better than their contemporaries this year. And only eight of the players this year were better than the contemporaries last year. So to go but right the way back to the beginning and say, like, where do we feel that the where do we feel that this season seems to be going off the rails a little bit? Well, it would appear to suggest that Swindon Town fans are pointing at recruitment and going, it ain't been that great. Um well look, we'll move on from that, um, because I wanted to spend a little bit of time just talking about the owner. Because ultimately the buck does stop with Clem, doesn't it? I know we touched we touched on this earlier, um, and we said, look, you know, how do we feel about you know what's happened this year? You know, who do, who's who's you know calling the shots this year? Fundamentally, all the employees at the club are beholden to the, you know the the good graces of Clem as the owner of the club, are they not? So the buck, if the buck stops with him, how are we all feeling about Clem? Who wants to lead? Um, I've had a lot to say on this um, over the past sort of twenty four hours. Um, I think I think we've we've said it all already tonight that I think the business side is great. I think the sponsorships coming in are looking good. I think that they're obviously doing well with selling the shirts stuff in the shop. Buying the ground is massive for us. Like long term, that's going to be huge, and it's going to help bring more revenue streams into the club. I think the only thing you can really grumble at is the football inside. And look, I know that. Clem doesn't really get involved with uh, Charlie Austin aside, get involved with the football inside of things. But I think the bloke he's left in charge of it is showing incompetence a lot of the time. I think that the mixed meshes between him and Clem confuse us as fans. I think that bringing in players and then selling them on, trying to or selling them on or trying to sell them on six months later is a bizarre way of doing business. If you're looking to get value, surely you want to at least keep a player for a season and show everyone what you can do and make more profit in the summer than you will flogging a guy for, I mean, I can't imagine that anyone we sold in January was for more than five figures. Um, I think that he's left someone in charge who hasn't really worked in football. I know he had a spell at Wigan. They didn't really keep him on it. I think it was more of a an advisory role more than anything that he had there. I think the fact that he's got his scout on Twitter saying some weird things as well, um, 
airing a lot of the club stuff in public is weird. I think that the Karachi thing is odd and it's just sort of cloud hanging over. Um, I think it's hard to... I, w- I wouldn't... I, well, I wouldn't say Clem's doing anything maliciously, but I think there's still people... I think there's people around that I'm not sure on. And I don't think Sandro is doing a great job considering what this club should be looking to achieve, which is I think we should be a League One club. I think if we're going to go with this model, you're not going to get value for players in League Two. I think you should be looking to get up into League One. And then you look start start bringing in a lot of younger players and selling them on. Look at how much... Peterborough sell their players on for. Look how much MK Don's Salt Scott Twine on for after one season. You can you can just have a player for a season and get good money for him, but I don't think that you're going to get that in League Two. So I'm just hoping that at- Clem's taking on what the fans are saying and what I think that a lot of people are seeing reevaluates his reevaluates Sandro's position and either you get in someone who someone else who can do that role. Or me, I think Jody Morris can play that role perfectly with the contacts he has, with the experience he has in football. I think Jody Morris is perfect. It's just give the give the reins of the football inside of the club to personally. Well, for me, when you look at when obviously if this model is okay, we're going to sign youngsters, we're going to build them up, and then we're going to sell them for a profit. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you if we're signing players for two year deals. And we're holding them onto them for a season minimum. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you've got twelve months or less on your contract, your your transfer value tends to dip a little bit. Surely, if we wanted to, you know, get these players and sell them on, you need to be offering them longer contracts because then clubs are going to be forced to pay that little bit extra to buy them out of that contract. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, no, I agree because I and I also think there's a case in that. Take someone like Ben Gladwin. Were we better off selling him for, let's say for argument's sake, we sold him for 25 grand. Are you better off doing that and getting the money in your pocket? Or are you better off keeping him around the club till the end of the season and giving you a better chance of going up? I know what my answer is there. Well, you think the the increase in income that you're going to get from being in a higher league straight away. And, you know, if you get to the end of the season and you're going up. Yeah, exactly. Is Gladwin going to turn around and say, oh, no, I don't really... Fancy staying at Swindon now we're in League One. I'm going to go and you know piss off to Crawley uh, in the bottom half of League Two. You, you got chances of him renewing his contract, and then if he's not fitting the model for League One, he's then got years on his contract, meaning that his transfer value is going to be higher than what he would have been selling him in January in the League Two yeah. season. And I think I think the other case of that, and the other, the other thing with this is, well, we 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 have weakened the squad. For me, we've straight up weakened the squad over January. And these ten thousand plus crowds they get, they've been getting. They're gonna. I. I. I we're not gonna get ten thousand for the next home game because people are starting to get sick of it. You can see them. You see the mood. We'll be in the 8, yeah. 000. You see the mood of Twitter. And if you lose, let's say you lose fifteen hundred people, walk ups paying twenty one pound a piece. That's the glabbing money just gone. So, you know, I think they need to be doing what they can to get more fans in the building. Um, and get the money there instead. The pro- I think you said it before. Prices. If you was, if you as an adult, if you were paying even just let's say sixteen quid instead of twenty one quid, an extra fiver. If you if you do two home games a month, that's an extra tenner you've saved. I know it doesn't look like much in the long run, but if it's cheaper, that stadium is going to be more full. And you think about however many extra thousand people pay that money. And you've only lost a five or a ticket. You've still made a profit. 
Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a balance to be found. I think I think I mean most places you go into now in League Two are charging around twenty pounds. I think they're gonna with the way the bills are on whatever people like the club have got more of their, their overheads have got more expensive, but obviously everyone else has got all their more expensive bills to be paying. It's it's I, I sympathize with the club to an extent. Um I think it's Well once we've once we've bought the ground, they've already said, you know, once the ground is ours rent is going to be cheaper. Didn't they say almost yeah, half yeah. what it would normally pay? Well, there you go then. So straight away, that's less outgoings for the club every season. That's that's your, that's your <coughs> bit of breathing room there to go, you know what, let's reevaluate the prices, you know, and maybe sort of like start making it a little bit more fair. You know, like, I don't want to use Bradford as an example because I think they've took it to the extreme and they charge next to nothing. What is it, like 15 quid for it? Under eighteen season ticket. I, I, I think we had it before. They, I think their adult season ticket works out about nine quid a game, something like that. Well, they, there you go. Like, and then I think like, don't you only save like a fiver a game if you get an adult season ticket at Swindon? I mean, you've get you've got to factor in. It's it's all very. Listen, I'm all for packing out the county ground, and I think an easy way of doing it is to lower your ticket price. I remember when. I, <laughs> I remember the horror of me switching from a junior ticket to a senior ticket, an adult ticket. Uh, you know, that's that for me was a big leap when I was a young supporter, and it's something that you know I've, uh, you know, has, has always sort of stuck with me. You know, that big jump up versus the value that I feel that I've been getting over over the years. Because as as I've matured as a supporter, the quality of football has gone down. There's no, you can't debate it. You know, you've got to remember when I first started supporting the club, it was the Lou Macari era. So it'll give you an idea yeah. of what I'm talking about. And as I got <laughs> to an age where I sort of like started hitting my adult sort of, you know, period, you're starting to, sort, you're talking, you know, the Steve McMahon years. And that, and we all know what's what's happened kind of following on from that. It's not been fantastic fair. And I don't necessarily feel that I've got value for money. The problem that you've got, of course, is, you're then talking about increasing security costs, increasing policing costs. Um, there's a whole host of things like as soon as you start putting more bums on seats, you've got to have you know appropriate safety measures to make sure that those bums are going to be are going to be well looked after and that we're not going to have any you know any any dramas on a match day. So it's you know it's I guess like any business, it then becomes a, a quality over quantity. But listen. As a football club, I, I would much rather we did the Bradford model and just pat the place out. I mean, I, I, I love it when we give huge volumes of tickets to the kids. But to my point, it's all very well and good having thousands of kids coming in because they're the fans of tomorrow, but they've got to be policed and they've got to be looked after and they've got to be secure. Um, so these are all things that we need to factor in. But look, we've had, we've had, a, we've had a few more tweets and a few more interactions, which is really quite lovely. Thank you very much for all your tweets. I'll just bring some of these in. Um, so uh, Mike's been on um, a little bit sort of past the point Mike I do apologise but Mike was saying um, uh, the white, uh, so okay considering the way we were at the start of last season as in we were in a bit of a state at the start of last season to get to the playoffs was an overachievement in many people's eyes if we didn't get to the playoffs last year do you think the same pressure would be on like it is now so really really good question I don't know if anyone wants to have a run with that so do you think, you know, the success we enjoyed under Ghana that kind of took everyone by surprise, really? Although we were kind of, before we went on that lovely little run at the end of the season, we were all getting quite ang- quite angsty and we all had short memories. Mike's point's a really good one, isn't it? Do we 
Are, are we heaping on the pressure now because of the success of last season, the unexpected success? I think there was a big feel-good factor from last season. I think that we had, I think everyone was expecting us to have a bit more momentum. And for me, it was like the Harrogate game kind of brought brought me back down to her pretty much right away. But I think I was still expecting us to go on a promotion run because on paper, the team we had was pretty good. But I didn't expect us to be letting go of the players we did in January and letting and the fact that certain players had a big drop-off from last season. So, But you look at, you look at it, right, and we... We absolutely defo- we were favourites to get relegated last season, and we made it to the playoffs. And arguably, without that little dip, where we thought we were going to slip out the playoffs altogether, if we didn't have that, we would have been automatics. And one my, more, my first, one, one more my first thought at the start of this season was right. We yeah. don't have an embargo anymore. We've got money in our pocket. If we can reach the playoffs with an embargo, only being able to sign free transfers on one-year contracts and loanies, we've made it to the playoffs. What can we do when we've got budget? Um, and it, it, it's just it's falling so short. Money. It's unbelievable. But this brings me back to my point earlier, is that we replaced Ben Chorley with Sandro. And it's just that's, that's it. been the biggest that's downgrade great. of all. That's the route and the people top. keep defending him, like singing his praises. And the feel from where I sit in the town end, everyone absolutely despises Sandro. Now, I looked at some of the signings and I thought these are good signings. But then when you sort of like start piecing them together and you realise that, you know, we've, basi- we've basically been turned into a youth squad. It's like, come on, man. Like, if you really want to go up, you've got to really... You've got to play the game that League Two is, and as much as I love some of these youngsters, and they definitely put the put their heart on their sleeves sometimes when they come out and perform, there's just not enough there. Well, that's that's kind has, of the point. He hasn't got the contacts, and he has experience, has he? He's well, got one job on his CV, and it's getting sacked by Wigan. Exactly. So well, how, did you, how did he get the job? And that was the thing with like when Lindsay came in, everyone thought, you know, come on, I thought. Why have we why have we gone for the cheap option? And it feels like we did that with Sandro again. Well, uh, I mean, obviously at the start of the season he was a bit of an unknown quantity, and I mean the exercise that we've just gone through rather lengthy um, go, by going through the squad and taking a look at how we feel um, our recruitment has gone year on year. I think it kind of you know bears out that you know none of us are happy um, with the way that the recruitment's gone this season. Um, and that, you know, there are some questions for him to answer. And obviously, the longer the season goes on and the longer we continue to flatter to deceive, because the thing is, we're all we're all very fickle, aren't we, football fans? We'll, we'll all quieten down once we rack up another, like, four or five wins. But at the same time, um, I think the question is also, like, to what extent are we papering over the cracks for those wins? Um, which is, I know it's a little bit counterintuitive because you're winning games of football. Um, but uh, this thing goes inevitable. Back- well, it's, it it's not. Well, we're not. I mean, year on year, I think the standard of the league two's gone down. Um, which so, but that's. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? But look, we'll see if we can get a few more of these tweets read out. Because um, I appreciate time's cracking on. Um, John was just tapping in when we were going through the squad analysis. John's tweeted to say um, Ellis Iandolo, master of none um, in terms of his positions. No issues with his commitment to the club. But if the rumours were true. Uh, being offloaded to Crawley, no wonder his head has dropped. I mean, yeah, it's a very, very interesting point, John. I mean, it can't be a nice situation for a player that's sort of given heart and soul to the football club to, you know, to essentially be 
um, you know, um, yeah, sort of, you know, in a in a position where there's speculation that he's going to be going to Crawley. Um, James the speculation point- I had regarding Ellis, again, I don't, I don't know the truth on this. Some guys might know more than I do. But from what I was being told at the front of the town end, he went to Crawley without telling the club and failed his medical. Oh, I don't know if there's any truth behind that. But well, that's, that's, what, alleg- that's what I was getting told. <laughs> a, big, a big allegedly, we'll attach to that. A big um, allegedly. Yeah, a big allegedly. James has tweeted, um, where we were talking about Anthony Grant, um, no comparison. Um, Grant had experience and he was an absolute wall. He only fell out of favour because he went and played for Jamaica, which, of course, James, um, you know, in terms of the timing of it and him going off and playing those games for Jamaica and coming back, he never really recovered, did he? Um, but, you know, does, does he regret it? I don't know. What, what If that... If those international appearances were right at the end of his career, what memories he's going to have um, in terms of uh, representing his country? So I'm sure you'll never take those international caps away from him. Um, I think, all right, well, listen, I mean, we talked talked a little bit about Clem. Um, we talked a little bit about how we're feeling. Um, I mean, fundamentally, if this if this bad run continues and the squad continues to flatter to deceive, he's... <laughs> Clem's got a very, very big few weeks ahead of him, hasn't he, in terms of um, how he's regarded with the town fans. And, I mean, obviously he gets, you know, there's, there is so much goodwill towards him. But at the end of the day, the, the goodwill that we have towards Clem is superseded somewhat by the goodwill that we hold for our football club, which is obviously damn right lusty love. So there's any, to, to, I guess the question I'm asking is, to what extent, if this run continues, to what extent... Um, are we, you know, willing to just continue to be supportive of the owner um, if the team continues to take a header in what is a very, very poor league too? What we need to do with Clem is make it very clear to him as fans that we're not. If if it's a resounding opinion, we it needs to be made clear to him that we're not happy with what Sandro's done. I don't want to sit here and just you know use this whole platform to slate Sandro because. You know, if he stayed until the summer, you never know what he might bring through the door, or even if he lets Jody take the reins a bit. It's just like, you know, we wanted a manager that wasn't the easy option. We've busted the bank a bit and we've got Jody. We wanted an out and out striker. Clem went and personally spoke to Charlie while he was in Brisbane. You know, he's done pretty much what, what whenever he's seen what we want, he's almost gone and done it. You know, the bloke, the bloke single hand, I know everyone goes back on, oh yeah, at least we've got a club. The bloke single-handedly basically walked in and just took the club from oblivion and already it's more sustainable because of the lack of debt that we've got. Mm. You know, at what point can Clem come out like he did when he first took over and talk to the fans? You know, whether the club themselves just get a personal video from Clem and post it for him saying, you know, just to give us a bit of, you know, come on lads, keep backing it, you know, and sort of give us his his view on things, which I know is hard to do as an owner when you're, you know, to put your own personal opinions out as opposed to doing everything behind closed doors. I know that's difficult. But, you know, the the transparency we had at the start and the interactions we had, I, I know it's not going to last forever because, you know, that was just the hype of the new owner. But we're, we're missing that bit from Clem now where Clem needs to sort of, like, we just don't see as much of him anymore. I think you know, the thing the, is... Um, Knowing, knowing the owner, knowing the owner as I do, and I've had a fair, fair few interactions with him. The, you know, Clem, Clem is not 
he's not happy, he's not comfortable being in front of the cameras. But at the same time, he's coming round to the reality of the fact that being owner of a football club means that to an extent, you kind of need to be a public figure. And at certain times, you need to dial that up or dial it down, subject to any kind of crisis that you're managing at the time. I think anyone that saw the way Clem spoke when Jody was appointed um, will we'll, we'll tell you that Clem is not Clem's not a natural public speaker. You know, his position as the you know, as the as the owner of the Axis Group, you know, and the leader of the Axis Group on a global basis, that doesn't put him in front of the camera. But he's a yeah. very, very successful and a very shrewd businessman. But to your point, the fact is, we love our football club. I can only yeah. tell you, based on my conversations with him, where I've looked him in the eye, you know, shook his hand, had conversations with him about, you know, his vision for our football club, how he really feels about our football club. I sense a real genuine affection and willingness yeah. to invest Agreed. and do Agreed. the right thing. And the same with but, Rob. You know, I've you know, I the missus treated me to a hospitality package pre season, like I said. And the way that Rob would just come round to the tables and you could ask him and he, we was asking him about signings for Christ's sake, and he was giving us stuff that you wouldn't expect from like a CEO's like standpoint to just outwardly say, Yeah, this is what's going on, this is what we're chasing. And you know, that transparency there and I know Clem doesn't like the cameras but you know it's, I remember being at Scumthorpe and then at half time just seeing him come and join us in the away end and things like that and it really made you feel like you were sort of like connected with the owner I just feel like we've lost that a little bit I still have my faith in him don't get me wrong I will never mm. I haven't got a bad bone in my body for Clem I think he's absolutely outstanding and what he's done and what he will continue to do and I don't doubt that he will carry on pushing the club forward it's just at this point in time things have gone awfully quiet <clears throat> about where we are from a, from a point of view of a fan that doesn't get that constant interaction like you do I would just like oh, I don't know I, just... but I wouldn't pull this way I wouldn't call it constant you know I'm not I don't live in Clem's pockets I'm not in the employer no Clem. you know what you know but... what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I've got you. But not everybody does, mate. And this is the thing. I mean, you know, we we draw and I draw criticism from people because there is this sort of assumption. Because we came about, the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge came about. It's just a pure fluke in terms of quirk of quirk of time. I, just, I, I managed to take an early retirement at a time where our club decided to get a new owner. And I decided to use my spare time to try and produce a channel that tried, you know, gave everyone a bit of a shot in the arm when it comes to supporting Swindon Town. Some people um, love to look at life on a glass half empty and try to sort of draw sort of their, some kind of cynical link between Hannah's and Clem. Now, look, I assure you, that's not the case. And hopefully our no, content yeah, the last four, five, six weeks has bore that through. What we'll say, look, though, I'll go, gonna, what, you're saying about Rob, what you're saying about Rob is very interesting, actually, Adam. I'll tell you that the acid test for me with Rob is, as, as regular listeners to the show will know, we broadcast live from the Legends Lounge every Saturday. And Rob, just as part of his kind of doing his rounds, often strolls past our table where we host the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge from. And... Rob will give us a wave and I'll give him a wave and he'll come over and shake my hand. And if he's got time, I'll just say, oh, Rob, grab a seat. There are never any scripted questions. He never knows what I'm going to talk to him about. And it is literally, right, go for it, Hannahs. Like, go, like, yeah, I'm, I'm open. Ask me whatever questions you like. And yeah. we post a few awkward ones to him on Saturday, but he didn't dodge a single question. Um, no, he doesn't. No, no. He's look, decent... You know, the, fir the first time I really listened to your show as a whole was... You know, I'd, I'd come across it a couple of times on my, on my notifications when people were listening that I followed. Deadline day, 
was, uh, you know, my first proper show where I listened to it and I even got involved on it. And, you know, having that voice as fans is something that a lot of clubs don't really get the chance to do. So, you know, props to you for doing that. And, you know, in a sense, you know, we have got, we've still got that transparency with the club. Um, but but look, I feel Clemson, like it's only a matter of Clemson. time before the Sandro thing sort of starts getting a bit more venom behind it. Yeah, I think, listen, I think my, uh, you know, I think my, my view <laughs> is that, you know, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think the thing is, if this run continues, you know, players coming back from injury, coming back from suspension, when they slot back into the side, if it doesn't coincide with an uplift in results, football is a very simple game. Fans will soon start to show significant amounts of displeasure. And the, the sad thing was, when that second goal went in at the weekend, I just stood there and I watched people sitting down in the town end. Like I saw the stands draining away. There was a real awful feeling of apathy. Um, and if that if that feeling is just sort of bubbling below the surface there, and and to Max's point earlier about you know are we taking and, and Mike's point about are we taking ten k crowds like for granted? I think you know Clem's got to be very very careful. I, I think it's a it's a really really important month ahead. Uh, for Clem and a really, really important um, sort of acid test for his leadership skills because he he can't he, he can't afford to not have a public voice at a time when things get difficult. And I think the one the people that have got a public voice in the club at the moment are not necessarily, you know, getting the messages out there that maybe the owner wants. Um, yeah. So other people that have got to carry that burden better as well. Because here's the thing for me, at the end of the day, we need to go on a run now where it pushes us back into the playoffs. Because I think, it wasn't just me, I think quite a lot of fans were under the impression that we may have finished top three this season. I don't know about you guys and what your expectations were for the season, but I had, I had high hopes. And now that we've, we, you know, we were hovering in the top half of the playoffs for a while, and all of a sudden, since January's finished, we're not even in, we're not even in the play. we're three points off the playoffs now. No, not even, we're, Six points off, haven't we? Six points off the playoffs now. Stockport were on 48, we're on 42. Yeah, you know, and there are things around games in hands as well. And we're only... Well, there, there we go. We're not, we're not a million miles. If you, you know, it, some people have already started looking over our shoulders as well. Now, I think we've got enough, we've got enough points in the bank already to not have to worry too much about the demon drop. But by the if same you have token... More points, if you have more points in games played, 99% of the time you're safe. Yeah, but so, at the same time... It's we we don't we as a club should not be languishing around mid table or the bottom half of League Two. It's as this, this is what this is what I mean. This is what I mean. I haven't been around Swindon long enough to have those playoff finals at Wembley. Have those, you know, especially for like the proper. Old they weren't guys. great. See, see, <laughs> I know, but like the feeling of getting there. Do you know what I mean? Knowing that you're on yeah, the yeah. championship or the guys that watch Swindon go to the Premier League. Not once, but twice. You know, granted financial fair play and all that monarchy. I've I've not had any of that, and you know, well, Adam, as a, as a Adam, young fan, all my all my mates around me that sit there and they treat football like a TV show and they brag about winning the league, like Premier League and stuff like that. And then I look at other t- teams in our leagues, and I'm looking. You know, I can't help but look at teams like Luton and Lincoln and stuff, yeah, like, Adam, and I'm like, Adam, why can't Adam, that be us? Adam, don't navel gaze because I tell you what. Nigel, I'm going to give you the final word, mate, because, like I said, we're of, we're of a similar age, and I'm sick and tired of it just being from me. When the good times are good, they're very, very good, aren't they? 
Absolutely brilliant. If anyone that went to the Gillingham second leg at Sellhurst, what an what an atmosphere, eh? Absolutely <laughs> electric. Forget Wembley, that was the best. It was something else. You had, then, you had to course, be there. It was absolutely then, electric. Of course, yeah. Wembley, we'll forget about what happened a week later, but Wembley 89 was a bit special as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah. When, when, when it was the old Wembley, we were brilliant. We, we couldn't lose there, could we? He said, ever since they knocked it down, we'd been shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> but at least we got there. We were up the top and we got there. And he said, it's a gutting way to lose, like Millwall and things like that, and the bobble and all that rubbish, and playing crap against Preston, playing injured players that shouldn't have been starting, and all these other mistakes we've made. But at least we got there. It was a bit of hope, wasn't there? There was. Look, a look, bit at, of... well, look at it now. Look at it now. It's just a shambles, isn't it? Well, you know... There's only I'm... one way and that's up. What I hope, what I hope is this: I hope some of the stuff that we touched on tonight, and we've had contributions from live speakers, we've had contributions, direct messages, we've had contributions from tweets. I hope one of the things that we've kind of touched on rather consistently tonight is that um, there's still an awful lot of goodwill towards the guy that's basically come and bought the club, um, saved it from oblivion. Um, and you know, I think he's getting the benefit of the doubt at the moment, but the general sort of consensus in summary would appear to be that there's a very, you know, the patience is not going to be everlasting. I think he has to get a grip pretty, yeah. he has to get a grip pretty soon. I think. I'd say one more thing, Anna, is just on this, that I think all we want to do is hold the club accountable when, like, we have, like, big questions about what's going on with just take recruitment. I think we just want to be, to, we, all we want to do as fans is hold the club accountable because we've been burned so many times and I think Clem's the most trusted owner that I, I've been supporting since that Charlie Austin season in 2009-10. And Clem is the owner I've trusted the most. And all I want to do is make sure that even even with that, that he's still held accountable for what's going on at the club because we all we want is the best, right? Well, Max, look, as Nigel will probably tell you, I remember the campground being stormed at like midnight, you know, in a on an awful uh, evening in 1990. Uh, with fans sat there in tears, having literally had their dreams whipped away from them. I think I remember standing at Griffin Park expecting to wake up the next morning and find out my club had gone bust. I remember, you know, the ignominy of um, Swindon going into administration for a second time. Um, I remember, you know, hearing the news, hearing, you know, Lee Power sort of, you know, essentially state that, yeah, uh, you know the club's insolvent, pretty much. Word, well, I think I, I don't know where I'm using his words verbatim. So, uh, listen, we've all we've all kind of been there. You know, we've suffered double relegations before being reinstated. You know, a division. Um, we, we've seen some very, very, very painful times. Now, the good thing is, I've actually had this conversation with Clem directly, and I'm sure he won't mind me betraying any confidences here. But you know, Clem couldn't quite get his head around the fact that. You know, he was drawing a lot of fire. Uh, this was about, I think it was about four, four, six weeks ago. And I explained to him that you've got to understand, like our fan base has taken an absolute battering over the last 30-odd years. And it's 30-odd years of absolute, like, pain, hurt, underachievement. Um, the one thing that he turned around to me and said, though, was that, but it's, he was just really keen to stress that, the future under his stewardship, in his opinion, is going to be bright and that we've got a lot to be positive about and that all he wants is just a little bit of trust and a little bit of support. And I think he's going to make mistakes along the way. As I say, at the moment, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, um, but it's been useful tonight getting a barometer as to you know just how 
um, a broader church of Swindon Town fans feel about their kind of patience level. But um, listen, I mean, it's just edging towards midnight. So I think, um, you know, it's only right, having, having done a, a, another three hour whopper of a show, I think we'll draw a line under it. And I do apologise for the initial stall. Um, I assure you it's the Twitter tech as opposed to our own. Um, but um, thank you ever so much to all of my um, panellists. Um, so Max, Ellis, uh, Jason, um, who are on as our regulars, and Adam and Nigel, fantastic stuff from you guys tonight. And Louis, of course, for joining in tonight as well. Thank you ever so much to everyone that played a part in it. Um, a real treat to have you all involved. Um, to those of you that joined late, please do check out the recorded show. There will be a live recording that will be uploaded um, you listen to it in situ on Twitter and it will be available on all podcast platforms, um, hopefully from tomorrow uh, by the time our team um, uh, get that sorted. But um, as I say, Twitter will automatically upload. But it just leads me to say that uh, the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge is an independent Swindon Town uh, fan Twitter space. And as such, our views uh, do not represent those of Swindon Town Football Club or Sir Tom Broadbent himself. It's been my absolute pleasure uh, hosting you guys uh, with the help of my wonderful panel for the best part of the last three hours. Thanks again for your patience. Thanks for all your quality contributions. Uh, look forward to catching up with you all very, very soon. Come on, you Reds.